Stand by to launch FanStream Sports. Let's start. Hello, sports fans. Welcome to FanStream Sports. Nothing. Nothing but pure sports. This is the JP Show. JP, it is so good to hear you back on the air. Stand by. Now, here's JP. All right. A hearty good morning to all of you. Coming to you live from our Orlando studio. And Nick Gettis back in our RHS TV studios in beautiful St. Petersburg. Hope you guys had a great uh, long weekend. I certainly did. Refreshed, ready to go, ready to rock on one of these hot summer days. Spent uh, part of my weekend in Tampa, part in Orlando. Say good morning to you, Nick Geddes. How are you? I am doing very well here on a Tuesday. Likewise, I got some sun. I don't know if you can tell, but you know, I feel a yeah. little bit. I feel a little bit more tan, as if that's you know? possible for this morning. So. I feel definitely. The tasty whiteness is not as evident as, as normal. Not so as yes. normal. Not as normal, especially the day Good last. On you. Especially the day last week where I was fighting that little sickness. So I yeah. feel a lot better this time around on a Tuesday. And you mentioned a nice, sunny, beautiful Saint Pete. Hopefully, it stays that way because Paul Delegato just had to break my heart yesterday when he's all over Twitter talking about this thing that's forming in the ocean and it might be here next week. And I feel like it's it's too early for this, JP. It's way too early for the hurricanes. Way too for the hurricane early. season. Yeah, Man, you know how these things go, bro. Come on, you you grew up here. And some you little know, some little effort named Brett of all things. I just hate Brett. Brett. It's always got to be some little effort named Brett to ruin everything. What a what a what a frat boy name for exactly a hurricane. exactly. Brett. Yeah. Um, I come on now. We don't worry about these things until they're about two days away exactly. at most. So we'll, we, we're we're grizzled veterans here. We're not underplaying it, of course. We never do, but we're just realists about we're not going to get. We're not certainly doing the the, the week out hype, no doubt. Um, hey, just be glad you're not in a, a submersible two and a half miles uh, below the, the 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 water. It could be worse. It could be a lot worse. In, in is this is that the most bizarre story ever? That's the bizarre. Hmm. That's definitely the bizarre story of the week. They always get they get more bizarre every week, but this is the most bizarre story of this week. I'm sitting here like I'm, so I'm like what I, I saw this on the news, and I go and start doing a little research on on Twitter, of course, where you get great research. And they had they had done a documentary on this particular submersible going to the bottom, and I'm like, what? What? Wait, wait, what? It's it's controlled by a thirty dollar Logitech gaming console device. It's 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 sealed from the outside by seventeen. That 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 alone, I'm out. Like you can't, I can't get out of this thing. Like at any point, unless somebody has a a, a large wrench on the outside to like. <laughs> I mean, I'm sealed inside the steel drum. Going to, and there's billionaires that do this. You have to pay two hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars to get in this steel drum to go to the bottom and see the Titanic through a window. Which, by the way, I can see on a video screen. Yes. If you want to go down there, I don't need. To I don't need to go twelve thousand meters down and risk my life no. to do it. I don't no. need to. This is the you know this is the hubris of rich people though. They figure oh I can pay uh, it's fine. And there was there was there was a uh, a guy on this documentary who was reading through the disclaimers that you have to sign before you get in there, and he's like, uh, it, "Death is writ is written like three day three times on page one." Possible death. Possible death. I'm out. I'm like, I got to pay two hundred fifty thousand dollars to do this. And can we say like the rescue efforts? You know, of course we, we hope everybody's fine. That's probably not the case. But I mean, just because it's you know people with lots of money, we got to devote tons and tons of resources to this when we don't. Well, whatever. Um, crazy stuff. Glad I'm not in that. I had a much better weekend. 
than uh, the I, I just say stay away from anything that has to do with where a disaster occurred. Just stay away. Mm-hmm. Don't go near it. You're yeah, playing, that's you're bad juju you're, right there. You're playing with fate. You're playing yeah. with fate. It's just yeah. like when the Insidious, by the way, perfect timing. We had Paul Wilson on Friday, right? And he right. was telling us about the Insidious movie coming out. And yeah. what do they do? They blasted that thing all weekend on TV. It's already got its commercial out, and I've already got the, the, the remote ready to go. The second I hear it now, I've picked up on it. I'm changing the station. I did that. <laughs> so I saw exactly probably two seconds total of the preview for Insidious. So, but that's my point, though. When you put something bad in front of your face, you go away. You run away. Don't go near it. Same thing here with the Titanic. Yeah. What are we doing here? I think we've seen all the pictures we need to see. Exactly. I saw they did a movie. It was great. Go watch it. I don't need to, uh, you know. Anyway, all right. So let's dig in here. Uh, we're going to get to a bunch of different topics here today. We got lots of fun to get to. Obviously, the Rays and Orioles start a huge two-game set tonight at the Slop. Uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, Bucks camp wrapped up last week. Still a lot of leftover stuff to chat about that as we head towards training camp. We'll get into that. We'll also. Revisit one of my favorite topics. Why the hell did we ever trade Blake Snell, especially for the slapdick prospects that we got back? We'll get into that. The U.S. Open. Oh, my God. I can't wait to talk about this. The U.S. Corporate Open. My God. How bad was that? That felt like the Twin Cities Jamie Farr Classic. Or what was that? That was back in Toledo. The Toledo Jamie Farr Classic. That was – did that have a feel of a U.S. Open to you? No. No. The the Canadian Open – Felt yeah. like the waste management compared to yeah. the U.S. Open the week after. Yeah, it was, and then I was, I was wondering about it, so I started reading up on it. They sold, uh, limited it to twenty four thousand tickets per day because the membership didn't want the course to be overrun. Hey, if you don't want the course to be overrun, don't hold the U.S. Open here. All right, I mean it, it, the other courses that have done it. There have been other private courses that have hosted the U.S. Open. We haven't had these issues. Twenty four thousand tickets a day only. 19,000 of them going to people in the suites and only 9,000 on the entire grounds going to actual general admission U.S. Open uh, fans. And, and that's what it felt like. I mean, the cheer, there were no roars. There were barely cheers. The, the course itself, I mean, it's interesting. It looks interesting, but it's not a U.S. Open golf course. Not even close. When guys are shooting 62s and 63s, and I know for some guy, you get it. It was it was more of a who gets the lucky bounce open is what it was, right? I mean, you could hit a shot within uh, a foot of your landing area. I think this is what um, um, I don't know. I think maybe it was McElroy on one of the finishing holes, or might have been even Wyndham Clark when when he had that that whiff. Um, you know, the ball bounces in the fescue six inches from the green. And it's in this horrible situation. It just the whole thing just seems so tricked up. To, you know the par threes, the the seventy, the par seventy, and the wide fairways, which is never something you see in a U.S. Open. It just seemed completely tricked up that they wanted to have a U.S. Open in L.A. and to to serve all whatever their elitist needs are there. And it just I don't know. It's it sucked to me. The whole thing sucked. That you get a winner. Which okay, it's a great story. He's a great story, um, but is he? Do we really feel like he's going to be a longtime champion worthy of a U.S. Open championship? I don't know. I hope so, but I, I just I don't see it. Well, I mean, there's been plenty of major winners in the past that have you would not associate with a major championship, right? There's been plenty, and meanwhile, yeah. you still have Roy McIlroy who hasn't won one, and we're pushing a decade now. 
if he can't pull off a win at the Open, which, by the way, he got close again. More oh, heartbreak. He couldn't make a putt. Just yeah. He just straight up could not make a putt. If he would have made just one putt, two putts, Mac, I mean, he'd be winning the U.S. Open and the whole streak would be over. But it's a good story for Wyndham Clark. I think, what has he won, like two tournaments in his last, like, three starts? So he's red hot. Yeah. He's going to yeah. be, he's like a lock for the Ryder Cup now. I don't know. I mean, great story. I love the emotion. We love to see that in golf. I thought it was yeah, cool. Yeah, sure. I thought it was a cool. I just feel like the moment was robbed a little bit because the atmosphere yes. sucked. Yeah, I, I think that's a better way of saying it. I, I don't want to bag on Wendell uh, uh, Clark because we don't know exactly, you know, Wendell Clark, when, when exactly he's going to pop, right? He's 29 years old. If he's going to be a great player, I think we probably would have seen it by now. You know, it's kind of my point. He's, you know, he's playing well. He's hot. Um, you know, the story about his mom is, is a great story. And, and I thought he played well. But it was interesting that none of the, you know, the, the top four guys – could turn in, you know, a Cam Smith score. Or, you know, there was a 63, 64, 65 out there, but not, the, none of the guys that were really in the hunt really played that well. And, uh, you know, Ricky Fowler, I was I was pulling for Ricky Fowler, and it just seemed like from the beginning he wasn't – he just didn't have it. He just didn't have it. He wasn't hitting the ball like he was earlier. Just I think the nerves got the best of him, to be quite honest. But you got to hand it to, uh, to old Wendell because he did handle himself extremely well down the uh, down the stretch, the the hole where he he gets the bad break, and um, he's he's lining. He's got well, I think at that point a three shot lead on the back nine of the U.S. Open, and he's lining up this shot. And I'm just like, dude, take an unplayable lie and get a shot that you can actually put onto the green. Take your bogey and go. I mean, he he was lucky to make bogey there and escape. I thought you know that's obviously the the point of the of the championship right there where it could have been lost, and and you know. If Rory's making putts, I mean, how many how many edges did he burn? It was exactly like the the final round of the of the, uh, of the uh, British Open, the Open Championship. I, he played almost flawless golf, tee to green, and he could not make a putt. And those greens seemed like they got a little crusty on on that, Sunday. That anyway. whole that whole course, like I mean, you talk about how it, the high scores the first day. What you had two guys in Fowler and Shoffley who went eight under. Yeah, and U.S. Open records. Two guys shoot 62, somebody else shoots 63. Yeah, but after that, I feel like scoring became like very difficult for these guys because, yeah, you saw some guys come through the pack and get up to the leaderboard, but at least the guys at the top, like Ricky never advanced really past, what, 10 under? He entered no. there. What did Wyndham Clark have? 10 under, right, to win? Yeah. He was 10 under. So, like, there was only a two-shot, like, like I guess upswing from the top score day one, so I feel like the course kind of flattened out a little bit from a scoring perspective. Uh, Ricky, by the way, you mentioned I feel I feel like everybody was rooting for Ricky to win going into Sunday because we love those stories where he's battled back and got himself as a as a great player again. But we know it's really unfortunate for Ricky is he missed that putt at the end there, and I know everybody wasn't worrying about his putt because we just wanted to see Wyndham with that putt. I think he knocked himself out of fourth place and to fifth place and by doing that he still now has not qualified for the masters next year which i believe he's missed on the last two he had to finish in the top four and he was right there and then he missed that putt there on 18 to bogey dropped to fifth so Ugh, all this brutal. he didn't win he didn't qualify for the masters it's got to feel like a huge missed opportunity for ricky fowler unfortunately there yeah yeah well for clark he um he shot 64 67 69 and 70 and becomes the fifth consecutive champion to make the u.s open his first major title and we haven't had a longer streak than that going back 50 years so 
you know, the U.S. Open is, is it seems lately, like, I don't know if we're identifying um, you know, at least this one. I, I, I don't want to dump on Clark, but again, at 29 years old, you're winning your first major. Nobody really challenged him. I thought, I mean, they were playing well. Rory was playing well, but not making any putts. There was no, the same there seemed thing to with, be no juice. The same thing with Scheffler. Like, Scheffler, to, like, yeah. I saw the most insane thing. Like, Scheffler has played, like, 16 golf tournaments this year. And I think his average finish is like 5.3 or something. It's like absolutely insane. Like he's like at the top of the leaderboard like every single tournament. But even in this one, I just never felt like he was going to challenge. Like he was just going to sit right there in that like third, fourth spot. Because he just could not putt. Like yeah. we talked so much about if he figured out his putting, he'd be winning way more tournaments this season. But right now he's just he's fighting it right now with that putter. I think a lot of guys were at this at this major championship. But to me, it's not good for the game of golf when you have – players speaking out about the lack of atmosphere they don't like the course they're calling out the usga like it turned into like that like kepka said it fitzpatrick said it like major players speaking out against this course so i think they're, they're coming back here in like 2039 or something i want to say is the next too time early. too early too early as far as i'm concerned for the corporate open yeah i mean what 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 if, just, there was nothing about that that just seemed it seemed quirky it seemed like a really quirky course not 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 a championship level no. course. There's too many great courses out there that can you know. It's kind of like the whole Chambers Bay thing. They it, the USGA just has made some very very um, I don't know golf odd odd decisions golf. on the way there. Yeah, but I, <laughs> trying to do silly stuff that just doesn't work out sometimes. Stick stick with some of the greats um, that we know and we can compare to histories of past of the past. And this one just you know they tried to make it into the. The Hollywood Open with all the you know the stars and the Hollywood glitz and glamour. And I, I thought it fell flat. I thought it fell flat for for a golf aficionado like myself. It wasn't. Uh, I I feel like I invested way too much of my week in I this didn't, thing. To, I didn't know that when we were merging with Live Golf that we were going to get Live Golf type <laughs> atmospheres at every event. Like that's what I'm I'm concerned now. Is this the expectation? Is this what we're doing? Uh, maybe, maybe there was a not, I mean, obviously, obviously the USGA different from the PGA tour. So I don't know, maybe that's just the way uh, things went in that particular week. But it, yeah, it did seem very live golfish. Very, very well said. No doubt about it. All right. Uh, let's get into the Rays. Uh, they get back from San Diego after losing what three of or four of seven on the road trip. Not terrible, not great. Um, you know, against two teams that are, you know, obviously below 500. The, the Padres, a very talented team. The A's were awful until we gave them a, a couple of wins. You, you'd want to do better, but, heck, you know, at this point of the season, you'll take it and you'll get home tonight. Now they got uh, Glass now on the mound going up against the Orioles. I'll just say this about San Diego. Um, Saturday's game, watching Blake Snell, Mow down the Rays with 12 strikeouts in what six innings, uh, gave up just two hits. He was, you know, quintessential Blake Snell. You know, and looking at his numbers over since the trade, they're not spectacular. You know, and there have been some some injuries, obviously, but and I think that Blake Snell would have certainly thrived had he stayed with the Rays because I, obviously that's what pitchers do. I mean, his numbers have not been terrible since he left. 128 innings pitched in both of the last uh, 21 and 22 uh, ERAs that are that are, are very re- um, respectable. At where? Well, let me get to these numbers. Um, uh, stand by for for numbers. 
at three points. Sorry, three point two four in twenty twenty. Um, you know, he goes four and two in the strike in the strike short. See, that that was his last with the Rays, right? Then he goes four point two zero with uh, with San Diego, which was considered a really bad year for him. And seven and six, eight and ten last year with a three three eight ERA. Okay, um, and that has a lot to do with the fact that that San Diego just um, you know they they don't do it like the Rays do. It's simple as that. And then this year he's at three point four eight, not a terrible ERA at three and six, and. I, just, I think all of those numbers would be better if he had stayed with the Rays. And you look at his salary at $11 million, uh, $13 million those two years. I think it's $16 million this year, not far off what we're paying Zach Eflin. And you just go back to that 2020 staff with Morton and Snell and kind of think of 2021 or maybe even beyond and what this team would have been like had they kept him. And I, I don't know, and obviously the trade was a freaking disaster. To get a backup catcher – in Mejia and just about nothing else um, for a Cy Young winner. That's a disaster. Look, the Rays have been tremendous in their front office work, um, obviously winning the way they're winning this year. But you can't excuse some of the things that have happened, and that was that was something that was made, a decision made clearly to put more money in Stu Sternberg's pocket. Let's just be honest about it. Same thing with Charlie Morton. And anyone who can sit here and defend those two moves is just not being honest about baseball. And about the ownership here, and we look and we'll, we'll, we sit here with fifty, what fifty four, fifty wins, fifty one wins, whatever it is they're at right now. They're at the best record in baseball. They've been fantastic. All of that, it's it's great. But you have to look at and say we still have not won a World Series with some of these great teams that we've had. We still have not won the World Series, and I think moves like that are there one of the biggest reasons why. So well, you know, we you know, go uh, ahead, finish your point. I don't want to cut you off or anything. I just say, look, we the, the Rays have done an amazing job with what they choose to spend, right? Again, it's not this is these are self-imposed uh, salary restraints, and I just believe had they acted more like a major league team and spent the money that they've made in this market, which is considerable, I think we could have had a World Series by now, especially in the last three years. Well, I mean, listen, I think I've said it before. I don't understand why they traded Blake Snell. I didn't think there was a need to, whatever. Like, I've been down that road before. I know that it was, like, obvious to, like, start up the discussion because of what he did on Saturday night, and he was fantastic. But Blake Snell, I mean, you mentioned the numbers. Just focus on the last five starts. He's just in the middle. He's actually been the best pitcher in baseball over the past month or so. Uh, you mentioned the ERA. That ERA was like up towards five. It might have been over five before he's been on this stretch here of five starts where he has a .6 ERA, 27.6% K to walk rate or percentage. Uh, the fastball velocity has been up for him as he's gotten further along in the season. Uh, I think he became the third pitcher in MLB history to go back-to-back starts of striking out all nine guys in the lineup, joining Pedro Martinez and Randy Johnson. I've That's heard of them good. before. So That's I, mean, I think the Rays just ran into, right now, like I just said, the hottest pitcher in baseball. And was there some extra motivation there for Blake Snell? Of course there was. Of course there was going to be. It was his revenge game. And I think in his mind, he wanted to go out there and prove that, yeah, I can show y'all that I'm still, you know, this, I'm still that guy. And y'all traded me for you know the the slap dicks, right? But <laughs> so it was. A, but but here's the thing: I will say about the return for the Rays. Just looking at it from a different angle, because I think we've both established no matter what Mejia or if Patino, they're never going to reach the level of a Blake Snell. 
combined, yeah. separate. I think we can honestly say that after three years so far, right? Not trying to dump on those guys. They just are what they are. I almost feel like the best return out of that deal right now is in the minors. And you haven't seen him yet. And you might see him in a couple years. So you almost have to be patient to see the best part of this return. I'm just putting it out there. His name is Blake Hunt, if you recall. He was also in that deal. And he's a catcher, so he plays a position that's obviously a premium. And we know how hard it is to find hitting catchers, right? Power hitting catchers, right. especially in this franchise. And this year in, in, uh, down in the farm, he's got 10 home runs and 155 at-bats in 21 extra base hits and hitting 271. And he's graded as a plus defensively. So that might end up being your best bet if you're looking for something in the future. And where... Is he double A? He's in double, double A. He's, AAA? he's in double A right now. But given those numbers, I'd have to assume he's going to get to triple A at some point this season. So maybe he's one of those long shots to make the roster at some point next year. So I almost feel like that might be your best bet, to, your best return from Blake Snell. But does that still make up for it? Probably not. Probably for a not. Cy Young Award winner from the left side? Probably uh, not. No. 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 Not even close. Not even close. A guy that three years after the trade, four years after trade, is in double A. And he's get, having a nice stretch in double A. Forgive me if I don't, you know, start farting confetti hey, on this one. I gotta I just gotta bring it to you from all angles. You sound like you sound like one of those Rays fans on Twitter. Hey, go look, not trade Blake Snell. Look at this guy splits at double A for the biscuits. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm using, Let me know when he at least gets to triple hey, A. Listen, listen. Actually, I take it back. I take it back. He's in, he's in Durham. I think he might okay. be in Durham right now. Actually, I see right here. He's had six games in Durham this season. And do you want to hear the numbers in those six games? Sure. Four home runs, ten RBIs, hitting three ninety one with a thirteen hundred OPS. Wow! Wow! Okay, I stand corrected. It's six games at Durham. Six. Let's put him in the Hall of Fame. Let's put him in the Hall of Fame. Actually, yeah. let's get him up here before some of these one of these catchers get hit, please. Instead of Mejia, for God's sakes, you know we we're, we got the wrong catcher. Um, look, it, it's just I think that we I think that for far too long we've just like given the Rays a pass on this one, and it's just for whatever it we got it shoved up our ass on Saturday. Wait a second. And Wait a second. I just buried the lead, by the way. Just real quick on this Blake Hunt, because I'm doing more research. Shame on me for not... I don't I don't pay attention to the AAA Durham Bulls that yes. often, right? It's not really my job at the moment. This guy hit three home runs yesterday. Three home runs yesterday? He had three home runs. After he had three home runs and six RBIs. The two two days after the guy he's traded for. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, so good there, for him. There you go. Maybe we'll see Blake Hunt at the end of the season, then. Three home runs, all right? That's, you know, I'm sure that's uh, after all we've seen for the past three, four years, he's getting hot at the right time. So that's. that's he's 24. That's he was drafted like the year like before or something like that that we got Blake Snell. Or he's 24 Blake years Snell. old? He's 24 years old, yeah, and he was a second-round pick in, in the draft. And it's, it, um, okay, well, we'll see where it goes from here. But as I'm looking at the numbers right now, I'd say we pretty much lost that trade. Oh, right now. And, right now, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, could have won a World Series with that pitching staff. I'm just saying. You bring it well, back the next I, year I with still Charlie, think Charlie Morton. But, no, we don't, listen, Stu needed to put a few more million dollars into his pocket, so that was way well, more how important. Well, how am I going to argue? How am I? That, 
<laughs> keeping that pitching staff together. How I mean, am I? How am I? How am I going to argue with the, the pitching staff that I get to see night in and night out right now? How am I to argue? Could be better. It could be better because they could be healthy. Could have already, could have already won a World Series. It could be better because they could be healthy. That's could, it. Could, could have already won a World Series. They were, they were not winning a World Series last year. 2021, we could have a discussion. 2022, I'm afraid not. You don't know that. If you had if you had a, a pitching staff like that, that's untouchable. Yeah, you well, don't know that. One run in 24 innings. I rest my case. Maybe, I rest maybe, my case, Your Honor. There was maybe, nothing you were doing to that 2022 team to win a World Series. Yeah, uh, well, that that's true. But this right, team so on we, the this team on the other hand, stay tuned. Yes, absolutely, stay tuned, and it could still have Blake Snell. Um, yeah, now we got tonight, we got a two game series with the Orioles, which is kind of weird. Um, Glass now pitches tonight. They're what five games back, four or five games back. Yeah, I believe um, they're five back. Uh, the remarkable thing about this is the Rays went three and four on this road trip, and they didn't lose any ground at all. I think they stayed exactly even in the AL East with their lead on the Orioles. Um, so that was good to see. And I don't think Toronto's playing good baseball right now. The Yankees have been an absolute disaster without uh, – yeah, those Aaron two te- – both those teams are on four-game losing streaks. They've been a disaster without Aaron Judge, and they got swept by the Red Sox, who are still in last place, actually, at a 38-35 and record, if you can believe it. Um, mm-hmm. So they're still, they're still fine in the division. They're still fine, I, and they're tired, by the way. I, I'm, I'm coming down to this. I think they're a little fatigued. We mentioned they played like what thirty games in twenty nine days, and they got one off day. Seventeen games, in and now 16 they just days, yeah. and now they just went seventeen and sixteen. I believe yesterday was like their first Monday off in like five or six weeks. I want to say. Yeah, they were supposed to have one off against um, Boston. In Boston, yeah, but they they had uh, the rain out, so they had to make it up on on that Monday. So yeah, yeah, I think they they need to get home. Um, Need to get rested and, and kind yeah. of, you know, the All-Star break coming up. Not, when's the All-Star break? Two weeks? Yeah, the All-Star break is coming up here in, in about two weeks. And of note, too, you said home cooking because they get four in the, the – good thing after Baltimore, they get four with the Royals, so hopefully that will help. But um, that, yes. I, I saw their splits, by the way, because a lot of people are making a big deal because they're 31-7 and seven at the Trop. They're 31-7. and seven. Super big-time home field advantage. And on the road – they are 20 and 17, which I think is still good. I mean, if you're above 500 on the road, I think you'll take that, right? And but oh, it's, yeah, but you can't it's hard to make sense of it because like especially when you look at the hitting, it feels like their hitting is not as good on the road as it is at home. But it's cuz they're cheating. But when you look at the home. numbers yeah. though, they're hitting 2 points higher on the road. Their on-base percentage is only 8 points higher at home than it is away, and they ironically by the way, they hit for much more power though at home than they do at on the home, road, yeah. which you wouldn't yeah. really think is a thing, obviously, playing at the Trop. But even then, it's like the splits aren't, like, crazy, but somehow they've scored six runs a game. Or they've scored more than six runs a game at home, and on the road, they're averaging, like, 3.4 or something. It's just really odd what's going on there, but it's kind of – but even well, when you look at the hitting Nick, numbers, they're not, like, super, you know – Don't you listen to WFAN, bro? Come on, man. You know, you know I don't. Home. That show's been blown up, by the way. They're cheating at home, and they're turning on the air conditioner with the fans blowing out when they hit, and then they put the fans blowing in when we hit. I don't even know where these fans are, by the way, but evidently, according to WFAN, they exist in the trop. Um, so, yeah, duh. I mean, get, get, do your research on this. Excuse me. 
Excuse me. I can't go do read. That show's blown up, by the way. I don't know if anybody saw it. one half of it oh, is yeah. gone. But you know, you know who's joining that show with Evan Roberts, our good friend now. Who's that? Tiki Barber. It's Tiki. Be Tiki. Oh, really? Tiki and Evan Roberts are going to be the new show. Are going to be the new show. So maybe we'll get some better takes from Tiki than we got from the other two guys. Yeah, hard, hard, hard not to. Uh, who was? It wasn't Tiki doing a show. Who was he doing a show? He with? was doing uh, a midday show on WFAN. Yeah. So now he's moving to the morning show. He's moving to that morning show taking place at that Craig Carton, I believe is his name. Yes. So yes. it'll be Tiki and Evan Roberts, who was the one who made the whole rant about the Rays originally. Yeah. Maybe he could straighten them out there, a little uh, Tampa love. All right. Um, so we got the Rays and Orioles the next couple of days. We got Glassnow going tonight. Uh, I don't know who's going tomorrow, um, but Glassnow tonight. Looking forward to that. I mean, he didn't have a – I'm not going to quibble with the last outing. It wasn't too bad. It wasn't what he wanted. Um, but I'll be interested to see him go out tonight against this. Uh, this you know, you look at the Orioles. They're fifth in the, in the American League in runs scored. Um, their ERA of their starters is 4.15, which is middle of the pack. But they have maybe the best back end of the bullpen in the league in Yannier Cano and, and Felix Batista. So mm-hmm. for the Rays, it is critical to get out early on these starters, you know, start fast, get a lead. Because, you know, if you get behind the Orioles in the 7th, 8th, ninth inning, you got no shot. We saw this when we went up there. Um, Cano's freaking unhittable. Well, he's been, he hasn't been as great, though, the last couple weeks. He's given up more hits. <laughs> he is a little bit hittable right now. But Felix Batista, though? Yeah. No shot. It's at the point right now where if you see him, it might as well be Rivera at this point. That guy, yeah. you just can't, you can't get a hit on for Felix Batista right now. But regardless, to your point, they've been excellent in the back end of that bullpen for most of the season. Get out early, get a lead. Um, let the you know the Rays bullpen's been okay too. Uh, you know they just got a little sloppy on this on this road trip, and I think that that shows me that they are a little tired, and yeah. exhausted. You know? I mean, when I just... yeah, when I see, like, I saw mental errors. I saw yeah. mental mistakes, especially on Sunday, and you know I I, I think it was one nothing Rays in the third inning, and Beth and Court there was a. Soto uh, hit one like a little nubber right in front of Bethancourt, and the obvious play was to go to first, get two, and you have two outs then. No runs would have come home, right? And then you still have a chance to, to get Machado out and get out of the inning unscathed. He decides to try to throw to second base to get Tatis out, who's like the fastest player on the field, and he wasn't going to get him out even if he threw a perfect, a th- perfect ball. But it wasn't a greatest throw, but even then you expect Wander to catch it at second base, goes off his glove, and then Wander, I don't know what happened there. He just threw one completely, like, lackadaisical in, and it got right. behind Bethancourt. And before you know it, they scored two runs, and then they get the, the they had no outs then, and then they get the sacrifice fly. Three runs, three runs, just like that, a three-run swing. And at that point, you've lost the game because the bats just were kind of quiet in this series. And, in, and even, like, the, the game before that, the Padres scored all their runs on bunts. Did you see that on Saturday by yeah. chance? Yeah. I have not seen that ever, especially in the modern MLB. A team lay down three bunts in a row. Bro, the most frustrating thing as a, as for if you're the Rays to watch, but I got to admit, I kind of liked it, though. I kind of like seeing teams manufacture runs like that. I just hate that it came at the race expense like that. Hey, hey one more thing on, on Blake Snell, because I, I just, just remembered this, had this written down. He's making $16 million this year, mm-hmm. okay? Um, I believe, I think this may, may be the last year. Let me check at his uh, his contract. But as I'm checking it, we talked about you know the Rays adding a starter at the deadline, right? 
Right. Um, which I think they need to do because I'm not confident that that uh, the three guys that the three guys they got going now are going to remain healthy the whole whole year. I just you know. Are you throwing Taj in there? Four. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I just I just think if you can go out and get a guy that you don't have to give up a lot for it, more of a rental, you know, um, maybe a lower level prospect, a good prospect, but somebody you know in single A. I think it's something, and if you can get a horse like Blake Snell, how cool would well, it? Well, why be would to, what what would be the incentive for the Padres to make that move? I mean, because they're playing like I mean, they're not great. I mean, they're just not, and 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 then the division they're in, but they're I mean, in win, many, but they're in win now mode. Yeah, they are, but they ain't winning now. I mean, at some point you got to start. You know, are are you going to be buyers or sellers in that division? They're going to be. Buyers. I mean, how much more money do they have? I mean, <laughs> I know. think it's endless at the moment. Yeah, maybe it is. But if they're, you know, if 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 they, if that's a guy that that might be out there, if they're that far behind, um, is is that someone you would trade for and bring back? I'd say hell yeah. No, hell yeah, I wouldn't. I think the Why other not? thing that we didn't even mention. I feel like we may have had this discussion before. We talk a lot about how the Rays are, the way they kind of manage their pitchers, right? And it's all—it's a very like selfless type of philosophy that Kevin Cash and, and Kyle Snyder have kind of implemented, and right. guys got to get on board. I don't think Blake. This is just me speculating, obviously, but I don't think Blake Snell. I never got the feeling that he wanted to get on board with all the the wackiness and and you know being pulled when he's like. I mean, obviously, the World Series is the most infamous kind of thing, right? I don't yeah. think he really got on board with that, and I just feel like with this team right now, they've done so much from a like getting tight knit together standpoint that we've talked about, and that was a big thing for them in the off season, and it's worked, and that's why they're sitting right now uh, with 51 wins, tops in baseball. Sometimes I think you know this when you add a large personality to a room, even if he's been here before, the culture is I think dramatically different than what it was in 2020. Yeah, even when yeah. he was here. Okay, and I think sometimes adding a large personality like that especially at a position like that where he's coming in and it's like, hey, Blake, you're not really our ace. You're kind of just a piece of the puzzle here. Right. Eh, I don't know if I'd be on board with that, and I also just don't see the incentive for the Padres because even if the Padres are like 10 games under 500, I feel like they're forever going to go for it, no matter what they are. So I, I think there's far safer options out there for the Rays, and I think also the price tag, let's be honest, that's going to make them uncomfortable. You know, it's eight million for the second half of the season. That's, I mean, we got five hundred million sitting in a bank somewhere. That's not that much money, is it? I guess not. I mean, there's a commentary, and it's the last year of his contract. Yeah. Um, I mean, I so. told, I, I mentioned a name a couple weeks ago, and a commentary, Luke Double, Luke W, said the same thing. Lucas Giolito from the White Sox. I think that's an obvious team that's yeah. going absolutely nowhere. They have a lot of assets they can sell. He's in the final year of a deal, so you're going to get him for super cheap. For the second half of the season, I'd rather go on an option like that, but that's just me. Yeah, the Padres are eight and a half games behind. They're only eight and a half games behind, so it's not not prohibitive. But they got to jump over three teams, and there's three teams of the Diamondbacks who are playing well, uh, 44-29. The Giants, eight in a and row. The Dodgers, the Dodgers at thirty nine and thirty three. You know they're getting better. The Giants and they'll make moves. The Giants and you got to jump over three teams. So I mean that to win the division, and. As far as wild cards go, you got uh, they're four back the, in the wild card. Yeah, that's not that's not that's not obviously insurmountable, especially with the team that they have. So I just thought it'd be interesting to talk about Blake Snell coming back to the Rays. He's done. Rip the bandaid off, JP. He's not coming back. All right, I hear you. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back on the other side, talk some football. A uh, big trade in the in the uh, NBA as well. 
Um, Bradley Beal going to the Suns. How about your Suns now? Oh, interesting trade there. Uh, and we're going to get into some footballs. The, the Gators had a huge recruiting weekend. They're up to number two in the recruiting rankings. We'll talk about that. Um, talk a little USF and their stadium. All kinds of fun stuff coming up. So stay with us. We're brought to you by the Jeeves Law Group. J-E-E-V-E-S-LawGroup.com and Bay Area Modern Medical Center, B-A-M-M-C.com. Stay with us. Hey, guys, are you experiencing those feelings of getting older, lower sex drive, fatigue, hot flashes, moodiness, or you just don't feel like you had the vitality you once had? It's a chronic problem here in the United States. You're not just getting old. It's likely low testosterone. Studies over the last 20 years show a shocking decline in younger males aged 16 to 39. Older men have seen a sharp decline as well. So do something about it. Go see my friend Christopher Lugo at Bay Area Modern Medicine. Look, testosterone replacement is not a frivolous treatment. It takes a professional targeted approach that focuses on total body wellness, vitality, and emotional stability not a one-size-fits-all approach like many clinics use they will monitor your blood work and adjust your treatment as needed for optimal results folks i've been on testosterone therapy for over six years and it is a life changer you will feel and look better than you did 10 years ago give them a call at 844-977-3477 or go to bamc.com tell them jp sent you for priority scheduling that's 844-977-3477 or bamc.com jp here for the jeeves law group have you been injured in an accident in an auto accident truck accident motorcycle accident at work or at a place of business well, call the Jeeves Law Group and get the personal attention that you deserve. I made the mistake many, many years ago with going with one of the bigger law firms, the national law firms. And let me tell you, getting a call back from those folks was next to impossible. Weeks and weeks would go by, never get a call back. That doesn't happen with the Jeeves Law Group. Personal attention is what they're all about. When you call the Jeeves Law Group, you will be part of the family. They will represent you in a vigorous and aggressive way against the insurance companies. These larger companies will promise bigger settlements, but it's the Jeeves Law Group that will get you the best results. If you're tired of dealing with these bigger law firms, check out the Jeeves Law Group. Go to JeevesLawGroup.com, tell them JP sent you, get a free consultation. It's the Jeeves Law Group. Scott Jeeves has been representing clients in the Tampa Bay area for over 25 years. Give them a call. It's a free call. 727-894-2929. 727-894-2929. Or go to JeevesLawGroup.com. During COVID, over 1.7 million people were added to the Florida Medicaid rolls. But as of April 1st, 2023, most of these people may not be eligible for the Medicaid coverage and will lose their health plan. If you have been notified you are losing your coverage, don't freak out. It's very likely you can apply for a federal subsidy under the Affordable Care Act. Just call 877-652-0244. Our representatives will walk you through the whole process, get some basic information on your income, number of kids, and then they'll find a plan that best fits your needs. In fact, with the new laws, 90% of Americans qualify for reduced or free health care. You can select great plans like Florida Blue, that's my carrier, love them, paying $800 left after making the call. 877-652-0244. Our highly trained professionals know all the intricacies of the new laws. They will do all the work. You save tons of money. 
So if you're being dropped from Medicaid, fear not. Call 877-652-0244. Get real health insurance, free doctor visits, free blood work, no deductibles. 877-652-0244. Hey, JP here for Extravaganza Productions Incorporated, EPI. You've probably seen their purple logo at so many events that you've gone to. They are based in Tampa, and for over 33 years, they've been creating and producing conferences, meetings, and special events, the biggest to the smallest, solid reputation of delivering the best audiovisual, sound, lighting, entertainment, video production, and decor on time and on budget. I've worked with them with so many big events, the Warrior Games, which was an Olympic-style event all over uh, Tampa Bay, from McDill to the Convention Center to USF. They did it flawlessly, made it look big and fantastic. I've worked with them on small events as well, uh, large and small meetings and conferences, sporting events, fundraisers. If you got a fundraiser, you don't know the logistical way to pull it off, they'll take care of everything. Entertainment events, branding events, grand openings, so much more. The folks at Extravaganza Productions are the most professional and the best. I've worked with them many times. They are fantastic. You can contact them through extravaganzaproductions.com or call 813-621-4700. Extravaganza Productions, they are awesome. Coming back at you. Now, more with JP on Fan Stream Sports. only just begun. All right, welcome back. Our thanks to the great folks at the Jews Law Group. By the way, if you have had your car totaled in an accident and you did not get the settlement that you believe you should have gotten, you're probably right because that's what insurance companies do. So give them a call. It's a free call to find out if you can collect some money on that totaled car. Just go to the JewsLawGroup.com and you can contact them through the website. Um, All right, let's get to some of the comments here since uh, our commenters have been very active in our first segment. let me get to my favorite one here. Um, who was it that said, yeah, uh, Blake with a 4.2 ERA is is uh, too fitting. <laughs> yes, the 420 ERA is absolutely perfect. Uh, Richie P., uh, this is very interesting um, because I didn't want to get to some stadium talk here today. Um, I did not see this, but small news, but very significant. The YMCA on Palm Avenue has a $600 million project in the works, and it calls for a 10-foot easement for the trolley. First of all, where did the YMCA get $600 million? How is the YMCA connected to a $600 million project? Um, but, yeah, an easement to the trolley for something like that would obviously suggest that there's, some, there's a huge structure that's going in there. So I don't know, I don't know exactly what that is. But um, there were some developments over the weekend as far as somebody else showing up to put more money into the uh, Dan Doyle Dex Imaging bid for the raise, uh, and that's a, a hedge fund guy from Nashville. And you know, of course, everybody jumps to the immediate conclusion: Oh, they're going to move the team to Nashville. He is going to drop two hundred million dollars into the offer, which is about ten to fifteen percent of the the total uh, deal that would be needed for stadium and uh, by purchasing the team. So I, I, you know, you don't you're going to have to buy him with a lot more money than that to have some type of controlling interest in the club. That's my only thought on that. So it's not like he's moving, you know, he's going to get part of this team and move it to Nashville. I think what's interesting is that clearly, you know, Stu has kept, he said all the time, I'm not going to sell, I'm not going to sell, I'm not going to sell, team's not for sale. But, you know, we've had two very public stories now about, and I know for a fact that he has a deal on his desk for $1.5 billion. And the team is currently... 
at least uh, by Forbes, valued at $1.25 million. You'll remember the Marlins were valued about $900 million. They sold for $1.2 billion. So my guess is the Rays' actual value is closer to $1.5, and Stu's inflated value of the team's probably closer to $2.5. Um, so, you know, where does that fit in this whole deal? I still think that it means, for me anyway, that he wants to get a, a, a stadium deal done and then sell the team because that's going to inflate the price of the team by having a stadium deal in, pl- in place. And I still think for long-term investors, for the sale of the club, now you, you think about the short term, and by the way, the Rays are going to make a ton of money on the redevelopment because they won the redevelopment rights without having to give up um, a guarantee to the mayor that he was going to build a stadium there. So they've already won those rights, and they can still build there and make, and it, you know, according to the lease, they're going to get half the redevelopment um, sale of that property anyway. So they're going to make money on that end. And if you're talking about the value of the team and Bob Melandro from Whitecap Sports, uh, who's uh, was an advertiser and a longtime guest on this show, I've talked to him about the value of the team. We've talked about this before. A, a, a stadium deal in Tampa, he believes, would value the club at $2 billion to $2.2 billion. So if Stu does want to sell, he would get a better price for the team if he did a stadium deal in Tampa. This is something nobody else has talked about. We haven't really talked. We, we've mentioned this a few times that if a long, and everybody knows long-term, there's more money available with a deal in Tampa because you know, obviously it's a, a bigger, bigger part of the market, closer to Orlando, closer to all the growth. You know, if you're, if you're somebody investing in a large project like that, would you want 600,000 people within a 30-minute drive or 2.4 million people going to 5 million people within the next 30 years. Um, I think even the people that are St. Pete loyalists of the stadium could admit that long-term, that's where the money is. And that's where these, that's where these deals are made. You know, these deals aren't made at, you know, what, what are you going to make over the next three years? They're looking long-term 30 years, 40 years down the road. And clearly the revenue was much bigger on the Tampa side. So, yeah, definitely. It's, it seems like a lot, though, is status quo right now. Like we're kind of we're getting these like little kind of tad tidbits of information, I guess, that are leading us here. But uh, with the deadline being at the end of the year, I have to suspect that once the season ends, it's going to be like kind of fast and furious there for the next couple months after that. Yes. And we'll eventually yeah, because- we'll get this resolved. Yeah, because I think that the true deadline to this whole thing, and we've always said this, is the end of this year, maybe, you know, pushing it to maybe March of 2024 tops. Yeah. I mean, because that, but you got to have shovels in the ground, give yourself three years, and, and that's just in the best building conditions. And, and Lord knows where supply chain issues and building costs are going to go in the next, you know, uh, three to four years. Yeah. So it behooves them to get this deal done as fast as they can, lock in prices for construction, and get all that done. Of note, though, because you have to focus on what they have right now, obviously. We've, we've spent a lot of time talking about the increased marketing for the Rays. And yes. I sent you it during the break, but uh, I got this email, and a couple commenters are mentioning it. Uh, some more summer specials, some really good deals if you want to go see the best team in baseball. Uh, select dates over the summer, tickets, $10 tickets, 25% off merchandise if you want to wait in that long line to get into the store. Um no, thank you. Not, not me. $5 select concessions. And how about $10 parking as well in the main lots, which had been 
sold out for like almost all the games I've gone to. I haven't parked in the lot once. They've been sold yeah. out by the time I've gotten there, which is a good thing. It shows that there's a lot of people obviously there. So some more ticket deals. Obviously, I was around St. Pete most of this weekend, and I definitely see the I've seen the increased marketing on the Tampa side, and it's good to see that it's also on the St. Pete side as well. So again, kudos to the Rays. They've done a lot of things this year that they should have been doing, you know, years ago and every other year, and it's no coincidence that it's working right now. It's definitely working, even though the attendance, as Rob Manfred will tell you, it's well below MLB standards. But I think we'll take it. I think we'll absolutely take it. Hell yeah, absolutely. Um, Got to get it some some more of these these comments. And, and, and you know, my my thought on all that stuff is, where's that been for the last five years? Yeah, that's fair. You know, I mean, COVID notwithstanding, obviously, but those other years where they could have been doing this stuff. Um, a potential plan to expand the L- Leroy Selman. Yes, and Richie P says. Um, yes, the three things I just mentioned, the shit JP has been talking about for years at the time we talked about it, people were saying we're crazy. Now it's all rolling out. That's right, Richie. You tell them, buddy. You tell them. <laughs> we love you, Richie. Um, some other uh, thoughts. We talked about Giolito, uh, Kyle Hendricks, who beat us in, uh, in Chicago, a game I was at. Um, this one, yep, starting to roll out. The Vinick, Trip Miller. Oh, the, the Vinick thing. This is interesting. Thank you, Richie P., for, for telling me this, for reminding me of this. So, so um, yes, we do need another five-star pitcher. So, the Vinick selling off another piece of the Lightning. This, this is very interesting. Now, you're seeing, you know, obviously, Vinick's had a lot of expenditures on Water Street. Um, I don't pretend to know any of, you know, his business dealings or how, you know, he, he does that in my work with the lightning. We have, you know, we have no inside information on that at all, just to make sure you know that. Um, but just again, reading the tea leaves in the past couple of years, he seems to be, you know, selling off some equity to get some cash. Why would he be doing that? Why would he be doing that? We speculate that maybe he could be a partner in the Rays acquisition of the Rays. That just makes so much sense because think about it. He owns so much of that water street, right? There's in, in just it's a ton of retail, ton of retail and more retail coming condos apartments what do those things need people people in the area you know what 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 would attract you know make those those places even more attractive those contact con, condos even more valuable a baseball stadium right more infrastructure more i mean building another uh the ebor marina project right that we've seen where the baseball stadium is there more retail more, I mean, does Vinick want to be part of that, controlling that? It's in the middle of his, you know, his, his dominant footprint there? Or does he want somebody else to come in and, and do all that development? When he has the money and he's doing all the development in Water Street, why would you want someone else to come in and compete with you? You wouldn't want that. I mean, if you can get control, I and mean, that's what these big business guys do, they don't look to lessen their market share. They look to, you know, they want to dominate the area. He wants, he doesn't want some other player to come in and start taking over Ebor Marina and then Ebor City and everything else. He, you know, if, if you if you have all those other assets in that area, why wouldn't you want to control the whole thing? So that kind of makes sense to me as well. And also working behind the scenes and trying to keep it on the down low and all that stuff. So, and again, I have no in, inside information. Every time I've 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 asked about the Rays involvement or the Vinix involvement with the Rays. It's kind of been he had some interest back in the day, some real interest in doing the baseball stadium. But, you know, working with the Rays was impossible. Working with Stu was impossible. Like everybody says about working with Stu, right? Everybody says the same thing. 
The guy's impossible to work with. You never know where he's coming from. And he asked for the moon. You can't get any deals done with the guy. So I think, I think that kind of went by the wayside. Now, Major League Baseball, don't forget, Jeff Minnick was once the owner, a part owner of what? The Boston Red Sox. So he's been in the club. He knows everybody in the club. And the, those guys in the club aren't real fond of Stu, I can tell you that. And if, if those guys in the owner's club, the Major League Baseball owners, wanted to get a deal done in Tampa, who do you think the first person they would talk to would be? Jeffrey Vinnick, obviously. They know him. He's been a baseball owner. Um, he obviously knows the infrastructure of Tampa, the finances of Tampa, the possibilities better than anyone. And again, you know, to me, um, we go back to the, the column last week by John Romano talking about the Orlando Dreamers, my God. Uh, yeah, that was just an article, in my opinion, to kind of turn up the heat on Hillsborough County and St. Petersburg to get more money. Because trust me, folks, Orlando is not a player. That is a fabrication to create an illusion of somebody else who wants to move the race. Trust me on this. They have no public money. They have no they have ownership group stepping up to say they want to pay the expansion fee or the relocation fee or the purchase of the raise. It's all pie in the sky. It's nothing. So to even mention that shows a complete lack of what's going on in this in this whole discussion. That is a that is uh, an illusion to create more um, urgency in these other places, and that's what baseball owners do. So look, I'm I am more optimistic than I've ever been that this deal is going to go get done in Tampa. And I would look at the Ebor Marina site as probably the place where that's going to happen. So, well, thanks for, thanks for reminding me, Richie. I think that was that's good stuff. Uh, any other comments on here we need to get to? Yeah, I mean, uh, on the field as well, I had mentioned it, and uh, Mario Christian I had put the exact numbers here that I was kind of looking for. <clears throat> uh, going back to April 7th, the Rays have played 69 games in 74 days. And up until August 31st, they'll play just 53 games over the next 67 days. So they have made it through the tough part, the tough, the, uh, the hard part of their schedule here, and they've made out 51 and 24, pretty damn good. And now it's going to lighten up a bit. They'll get some more off days and some rest. And by having such the the stretch that they have, I mean they only got to win 50 more or 49 more games to get to 100. That's really it. And we're only in, we're still in June, so. I see you're laughing right now, and I'm. Listen, I, I, I want to see this team, like, go on a run here, and and this this to me, what you're talking about right now, and I'm glad you reminded me, is the reason why. You said, I mean, look at those numbers, look at those numbers compared to. So they're through the hard part of their schedule. You mentioned right. this last week. Yeah, they're through the hard part of their schedule. I mean, the the only bad thing about it that is they play down to their competition. Right. <clears throat> when the Royals come in this weekend, don't take them lightly. Yeah. Bury them. Bury them. Don't go like oh, going into Oakland. Oh, you're tired. You're going to the West Coast. No off day. You know, and you basically just sleepwalk through the first two games. Right. You, you're only four games, five games up on the Orioles. Let's go. You can't lose games because if they had taken, if they don't take advantage of this easy schedule down the run, down the run, then, and, and don't forget the difference between being a top seed and having to go through the wild card route. It's a huge difference in terms of testing your pitching, right? So 
losing, just getting into the playoffs is not good enough at this point. You have got to win this division and put yourself in the best possible position to win the World Series. And that means look at your look at your home game disparity, right? You want to play a game seven in your in your building? Yes, of course you do. You want as many home games as possible in your building. You're dominant in your building. So, yes, take advantage of that schedule the rest of the way, the rest that you're going to get, and the softer schedule. It's, and, take, it's and, and take advantage again of the division, which I, I, I mean, all of the teams in the division, again, are over 500, and that's great. But I don't think anybody's going to tell you that Boston is really, like, either 38 and 35, they're hitting really well, but do we trust Boston's pitching? Realistically, to get no, them through, no, no, we don't. Toronto, uh, again, they just t- to me, Toronto just seems like they they just can't get out of their own way. They they just seem to not be able to go on. They're like incapable of going on like a hot streak to get themselves like ten games over five hundred and give themselves a buffer. And then the Yankees, as I mentioned, again, we're not rooting for injuries or anything, but <laughs> when Aaron Judge is not in that lineup, the Yankees flat out suck. They flat out suck. Okay, I mean, they just went like one and six in seven games against the Red Sox in the past two weekends. Like, they just cannot score runs without Aaron Judge. The rest of their lineup, like the top five, the big guys like Torres, LeMahieu, Stanton, Rizzo, and Josh Donaldson, like, they're like all hitting under 200 this season without Aaron Judge in the lineup. So they're getting no help from the guys that they're paying a lot of money to. Like, the Rays have a chance here, I think, to create more separation from them. It just comes down to what the Orioles are going to do. Can they hold up right now? Can they continue to sustain the level of play they're at at the moment? No. Can their pitching no. can their pitching hold up is the Orioles? How aggressive is Baltimore going to get at the deadline? It's been a long time since the Orioles have really been a player in baseball and in the division. So I feel like they're almost in a they're almost on a grudge match with the Orioles of who's going to get more aggressive at the deadline and put themselves in the best position. So uh, this is definitely a, a huge series. Even though it's a two-game series, we saw what happened last time they played the Orioles. It was very tight, closely contested games, and the Orioles pitching, it won out over these Rays. So hopefully that's different this time around, and when you got Glasnow and Todd going on the mound here in these two games, I think you're going to favor the Rays, but you just got to hope that the lineup can stay, can stay afloat because we've been kind of waiting for the lineup to kind of come back down to earth. And do I want to say we've seen that? I mean, in June, they've been a league average offense, I believe. And in their own division, I think they're fourth of the fifth teams in, in offense overall in June. And we've seen some other signs. Like, I think Randy's come down to earth a little bit yeah. in some respects. Josh Lowe hasn't really looked good at the plate more often than not here in the past month. Uh, the catching position, I don't think you're getting much out of those guys at the moment. Um, you know, so Wander, I think, is I think Wander has looked like he's been fatigued a little bit. If I'm being completely honest, maybe that's contributing to why he's going yeah. through some slumps. So it's can the lineup keep it keep up right now? Is the big question with the Rays? Well, I think the I think as you mentioned, the rest is going to help them tremendously. And um, yeah, and, and we knew they would come back to to earth. But the thing about it is, and we've said this many times, pitching and defense do not slump. Right, right. pitching and defense do not slump. That's what's going to get them through. Um, it's it's what is way more um, predictable than than the other stuff. Uh, some other some other comments coming in. Richie P uh, updating me. The YMC partnered with an investment group, Ellison Development. They are local. I'm going to look into that. See what's going on with that. Um, I like this one from Lonnie. Going to 
to Tampa for an event or a game just feels like a big deal. St. Pete is like it has no idea there's something going on if it's a farmer's market or a dog park. I think St. Pete's a little bit more grown up than that, but I get what you're, what you're feeling. Uh, Thomas, my friend, uh, I think Stu has the rights to outlying waterfront. It's also eligible for some of billions from Biden's Inflation Act for coastal and equity funds. <laughs> Mentioned by Brian Ald seven to- several times. Look, there's no way they're building a stadium down at Alang Waterfront. No way. It's just from an infrastructure standpoint, uh, it, it would be next to impossible to get people in and out of that place um, with all the downtown. It's just, it's not, it, it, it's not feasible. I don't see it ever happening again. You know, it's the wrong side of the bay. You're 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 surrounded by water, and and people, you know, this whole thing about Hillsboro doesn't have any money is it's just the stupidest misinformation. Um, God, we've debunked this so many freaking times. It's not just about bedhead tax. It's everybody's, oh, they got more bed taxes. Yeah, I get it. Everybody understands it. First of all, Hillsborough's County bed tax has doubled and tripled over the last couple of years. So they're, it's going through the roof. They're looking, looking, they're going to be looking for places to do that money. Everybody, you're, everybody, you're all just locked into the now. Okay. I mentioned, as I mentioned, Hillsborough bed tax is going through the roof. Uh, the city of Tampa has some discretionary funds that they could put towards this as well, I've been told by a member of the city commission there, up to $300 million. But it has to be a deal that's partnered with the city, not something that Stu just says, come in and give me a give me a blank check. That's what he's been asking for from Hillsborough County. He's a blank check. And Hillsborough County and Tampa said, no, work with us on a development, on a larger development, and everybody can make money. And Stu has been very hesitant to do that because he wants to control everything. So as now, but now the negotiations are starting to move forward into more of that partnership. And as, as Ken Hagen said on this show multiple times, it's not just what Hillsborough County can put in, what the city can put in, but what a developer can put in. And that's where all these, you know, the battery in Atlanta, what Jeff Vinnick has done at Water Street, it's the development where the money is going to be made. Okay. So if you can get, if you could partner with the Rays and putting a stadium in there, which is kind of the anchor, then all the other, ancillary things that go around that condo buildings i mean at four five six seven eight nine ten million dollars a unit you know it starts to add up around the baseball park you saw that at petco petco has i think three or four buildings that have come up in downtown san diego condominium buildings that were a direct result of the baseball stadium so you all these this this is where the money comes from it's not just from the private the public sector so stop thinking of it just in terms of, oh, Hillsborough doesn't have any money in terms of bed tax. It's dumb, it's simplistic, and it's not the way things are done anymore. It's not just about the bed tax, okay? Can we, can we, can we like, throw that out? That's not the way it's done anymore. It's a, it's a bigger development to, that goes into it. So, and no, the, the waterfront St. Pete is an absolute non-starter. So, all right, any other comments we need to get to? Uh, I think that'll do it for now on the Rays. This is something in your... Uh, oh, my lane here. Yeah. <clears throat> Hardly any Randy merch is inferior. Yeah, I see a lot of people talking about that a lot. There's not a lot of... Is that... Is, but I think at the stadium, it's it's okay. I think more on, like, the Fanatics website. I think, like, like for years, like, the only jersey you could buy was, like, the Kevin Kiermaier jersey, I believe. I think that was, like, a thing. I don't know who's replaced Kiermaier now as the go-to guy, but I don't know if it's Randy or not, but... It's got to be Randy. <clears throat> I feel like it would be Randy if anybody at the moment. So, I mean, I, I think he's still like, I mean, we'll see what happens with the all-star vote. He has a great chance to probably start in that all-star game. So I, I think the Rays will be covered there. Uh, 
from most of those bases. So, all right, um, is probably his, his WBC uh, jersey is probably easier to get than his Rays jersey. It seems like. So, all right, well, um, we'll hit the we'll hit a break. We'll come back and we'll talk bucks. I want to get into a little bit of bucks. There's a lot of NFL news out there as well. We got to get to. I want to talk some college football in the second hour. Uh, the Gators have absolutely uh, are crushing it in recruiting, which is why they brought Billy Napier here. So uh, don't worry about your stadium points of sale, Gator fans. You'll be fine. Get good recruits. Everything will take care of itself, and that's what he's doing. All right, quick break. We're brought to you by Italiano Insurance, the Golden Diamond Source, Extravaganza Productions, and American Mortgage Services. If you have a, a big event or a small event or any event coming up, EPI is the place to go. Get a free consultation from the folks at Extra- Extravaganza Productions. Just go to their website, extravaganzaproductions.com. All right, we'll be back in three with some Bucks talk, NFL talk. Stay with us. This is for all you guys who don't want to go to the gym and do 5,000 crunches. At Bay Area Modern Medical Center, you can get on the new True Body Machine where you can reduce fat and tone up your muscle. It's like doing 54,000 crunches in just 15 minutes. Define your body as you see fit. True Body offers personalized muscle stimulation that delivers the equivalent of those 54,000 crunches in just 15 minutes. Just Get in touch with them at Bay Area Modern Medical Center, BAMMC.com. Chris Lugo and the team over there will set you up on True Body and get amazing results. Non-invasive with comfortable and little to no pain and zero downtime. You can isolate and target those areas that you want to improve and treat multiple areas simultaneously. It's an amazing machine, so check it out at Bay Area Modern Medical Center, BAMMC.com. Well, Fitz the Mortgage Guy did it again. A listener heard his ad was going to another big bank but called Scott Fitzgerald at American Mortgage Services of Tampa and Fitz saved him $618 on his monthly payment. Are you kidding me? Folks, that's big money. Rates are going up. They're going down. They're going all over the place. Scott will shop your loan and save you lender fees and get the best rates. Email him, scott at amstampa.com or call 813-294-7595. That's Fitz the Mortgage Guy. Lots of stuff going on right now, and these rates are going all over the place. You need somebody knowledgeable in the market that will work hard for you and get you the best deal. That's my man, Scott. He's done three loans for me, done thousands of loans for local folks here, works with a lot of the coaches and players in the area. He's the guy. 813-294-7595 or go to scott at amstampa.com. Insurance coverage can be confusing and expensive. I mean, where do you start? Which companies can you count on to pay out fast and fair? Well, call the great folks at Italiano Insurance. It's a family-owned business. Jeff and Nat Italiano are carrying on the 60-year-plus tradition of giving amazing customer service and giving back to the community through their annual backpack drive for needy students and their support of the local pediatric cancer patients. But it's the customer service that sets them apart. They can shop all your insurance needs and save you big-time money. Don't hop on the Internet and waste time looking at some bogus reviews. Talk to knowledgeable agents and not some voice-generated robot. These are confusing times for homeowners, and Italiano's team of experienced professionals can provide the right coverage for every situation. Home, auto, business, life. It's Italiano for all the pieces of your life. 
Call 813-877-7799 or go to italianoinsurance.com. Let's go. Right now. Back to the show with JP on FanStream Sports. All right, welcome back to the J.P. Peterson Show. We thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, we've had a great run over the past few months. We're getting much, many more views on YouTube, on RHS TV, lots of uh, views there. So we appreciate all you guys uh, checking in on the show. And as we steamroll into football season, we're getting very, very excited about that. Um, I was just reading this article uh, from uh, CBS Sports Online, and, and I'm not, not sure if you're on three people or on the Gator recruiting uh, bonanza that's been going on but they just went over the weekend from like the 20th uh best recruiting to top two or three depending on who you're looking at and they're getting big offensive linemen big defensive linemen uh running backs tight ends uh, billy napier has just absolutely crushed it in the last week um they got six prospects committed to florida in a three-day span it took less than 72 hours for florida's class to rocket from uh, rocket up 15 spots to number five in the 247 Sports National recruiting rankings, leapfro- leapfrogging Clemson, Oregon, Penn State, and LSU. Uh, got a couple of offensive linemen, Mike Williams, former South Carolina commit, Noel uh, Portugan, 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 he's a German recruit, uh, is a four-star recruit. Uh, they got Simmons, uh, another guy to flip from um, from Georgia. Uh, defensive lineman, four-star Nasir Johnson, uh, 6'5", 300-pounder from Dublin, Georgia, who had uh, offers from Florida State and South Carolina. Four-star linebacker Aaron Childs uh, went from Michigan to a Gator commit. So in the past probably week, the Gators have just started cleaning up in recruiting, and this is why Billy Napier was brought to Gainesville, Nick. I mean – I know a lot of Gator fans were not pleased with last year. They see Anthony Richardson going fourth overall and seven Gators drafted and only one Seminole drafted and, you know, Florida State's beating Florida and, and, and everything. I mean, it's this is this is the weekend that they've kind of been waiting for. And, the you know, the patience, I'm going to say patience. He's only been there, what, a year and a half, two years, Billy Napier. This is his second real recruiting class. Patience is paying off. Yeah, and I think that's the big thing that I think Florida fans need to have right now is patience because I truly don't know how much of an improvement we're going to see out of Florida this year. I think we're going to see some. I think it's logically like you should in your second year. But with the quarterback position, the uncertainty there, uh, yeah. with if it's going to be Graham Mertz as the quarterback, I mean, I saw enough from that guy at Wisconsin. I, I don't know if I'm going to get much out of I don't know what I'm going to get out of him, especially in the SEC. So maybe this year might not be Florida's. I think we talked about this, you know, you compare him to Mike Norvell. I mean, it was, what, year three, year four now that we saw finally yeah. that program start to start to, to take some strides, and now they're a powerhouse, hopefully, we assume going into this season. And if you recruit like this, you have a number two recruiting class in 2024, and let's say that it holds up, and I don't think they're done yet. We're still kind of in the early process, the early stages of this to an extent of 2024, and you're sitting right behind – uh, what, Georgia maybe, or how, one of those big powers in recruiting, I think that's the best you could ask for if you're a Florida fan. And what's impressive to me is kind of the footprint over the country right now that they're recruiting out of. Like the top two guys, I, I looked yeah. this up here in On3, the top two guys they've recruited came from Texas, then you got a guy from Georgia, then you got a guy from here in our backyard in Largo, 
Mississippi, Maryland, North Carolina. Like, they're kind of all over the map right here with their top recruits, and they also have six guys in the top 60 when it comes to ranking. So the guys they're getting are blue-chip prospects, no doubt about it, as well. So I've been impressed with the versatility of the prospect they're getting, the footprint they're building over here in the South right now. It's not just getting guys from the state of Florida or in their little map right there around Gainesville territory. They're venturing out. So that tells me that Billy Napier and his staff have a pretty good uh, you know, eye right now for talent, and talent has a good eye for them. So next step is you just got to hold on to these guys. I don't know yeah. if that's really the big question here. Can they hold on to all of these guys by the time we get to National Signing Day? Because in the modern era of college football, a commitment is only – I don't want to say it means nothing when a guy commits to a school. It's a big deal. But we know that until they're signed, they are not signed. And we've seen too many instances – uh, Travis Hunter being the big one, that it doesn't matter how far you exactly. how much you commit and how many great things you say about a program, you could switch one day if you're just feeling something different. So that's going to be the big thing. And, and also, as Jeremy chimed in here, and we mentioned it last week, their 2024 schedule is pretty brutal as yes. well. So yes. even though I think that'd be a logical season, that'd be a logical year for to see this Florida team kind of take on what Billy Napier wants. It's going to be very tough with the schedule going forward, especially with Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC. And you're going to have to start playing those those guys as well, and less of some of the bottom feeders. And they're out of conference, which I give them respect for this. They're going to play UCF, Miami, and Florida State next season, and they're out of conference. They're not scheduling, you know, Fordham and you know uh, Georgia State or Georgia Southern, some of these other or, teams that or McNeese State and Charlotte like they have this year. Yeah, they're not going to be doing that. They're going to go out there and they're going to play these top teams in the state of Florida, which I think is a great thing. I think we've advocated for this. Like this is a great yeah, state for football. Like, how about the we don't see these kind of out of conference matchups much. Play them. You want to be the undisputed king of of the state of Florida? Let's play all the teams and let's put your mark there. So I do like everything that Florida's doing right now, but patience on the football field is going to be key right now with I think the fan base. When are we going to the twelve team playoff? Is that twenty five or twenty six? I think that's twenty six. I want to say twenty six. Yeah, because I was going to say you know that schedule would be fine in those years because you know there'll be teams that have three losses that are going to get into the twelve team playoff. Right. So. You can you can schedule a little bit more aggressively, which is good for college football, I think. Um, here's the thing, though, and this is the thing that everybody's arguing now, and I think it's a great great debate. It's how important are these signing classes, these freshman signing classes, right? Because you talked about holding on to the, these guys. Not only do you have to try and hold on to them till next December, right? But also NIL transfer portal right how many of these guys are going to be with the gators after a rough 2024 season where their schedule is brutal they may have a very talented team in 24 and win six games you know then everybody's you know everybody's coming to pick your bones hey you know morale is down in florida they only won six games this year and but they sure do have a lot of talent you got all the scavengers right coming in to to pick off your talent because maybe you're not you're watching you know, Alabama and Georgia and Florida State run around during the playoffs and, you know, celebrating. And you're here, you know, even though you may have a talented Florida team with six, seven wins, right? So it's it's, it's just that retention of talent where FSU has put a lot of commitment of their NIL dollars in retaining talent and going out and getting guys in the portal. So 
you know, is this a mistake in strategy by Florida putting all their eggs in the recruiting of high school kids basket and maybe not paying enough attention to the transfer portal? I mean, Clemson is dealing with this. Dabo is a is a devout non-transfer portal guy, and Clemson's starting to slip. And a lot of people are pointing to that reason. You know, it's 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 a tool that a lot that Florida State is used to get better uh, in in a in a rapid amount of time. I mean, I said this on my um, particular take on on FSU that it would have taken them, you know, another two years to get back to where they were last year. I think Norvell has accelerated his timeline by a couple of years, and he did it through the portal. So my question to you, Nick, is how important is are these freshman incomers, these high school recruiting classes, vis-a-vis transfer portal and, and NIL? Well, I'm trying to look at you know the teams that have kind of dominated college football right now, and Georgia's, I guess, the best example of this because I don't see them letting up at all, and they still have the number one recruiting class for next year as well unless I'm forgetting somebody right now, and it's possible I am, I can't think of anybody from these last two championship teams that Georgia has had that is like a big-time portal guy that they acquired. I mean, can you? I don't think anybody in that defense that they had, they went out and got through the portal. I think it's guys that they just recruited and developed on their own, and I think Georgia has that's obviously working for them. Most times, often than not, and I know Alabama has you know played around with the quarterback position a little bit when it comes to the portal. Yeah, and they're going to do it this year with Tyler Buckner if he ends up being the quarterback for them. Uh, but I, I feel like the top teams, to an extent, are still using the old school recruiting way, and you get the top, you get the best of the best, the five stars, and all those guys. It's still going to put you in the best position to win. It's just the teams that are able to merge the two, right? I think is the easy answer there of who's going to have more success in the future and who's not. And you mentioned Clemson. I think that's a great example because Clemson, it's not like their recruiting's falling off or anything. Clemson just had a great weekend as well in recruiting. They have two five star guys committed already for the 2024 class, and they're still recruiting at a top five rate. As good as Florida State has picked up in that department, Clemson still has, you know, they've still taken the bull by the horns with the ACC when it comes to recruiting. Let's make no mistake about that. So, but I, I do think, though, it's going to be who can merge the two philosophies. Well enough, and I think I think Billy Napier's open to it. I think he's open to it. He seems like a he's going to have to be. He's, he's going to have to. You be. can't do one or the other. You got to merge them. And you know, even Alabama's been they've been you know finding some real key key pieces in the portal yeah. over the past few years to help them. Like I went and looked at Georgia here, their class that they just had in twenty twenty three, this past recruiting cycle, which was the second ranked class in the nation. Only four guys did they bring in from the portal. Only four guys, and they all came from uh, courtesy of the SEC, their fellow SEC competitors. So I don't see Georgia really using that philosophy as much, but every situation's different. I think Georgia, they can get away with probably going 90 95% recruiting mm-hmm. because yeah. they're going to be in play for every single big recruit going forward. That's just the way it is. And But I think Florida's proving right now that, hey, they can do it that way as well. But at some point, you got to see results on the football field to make it worthwhile because, I mean, Texas is a good example, too. Texas has recruited, like, in the top ten and the top five for years. And have we seen it translate to the football field yet? No. No, no. we haven't. It's so situational-based, I think. But Napier hasn't really hasn't really gone into the portal very much, though. I mean, it seems – I know a lot of Gator fans are pissed off about that, that he's not um, using the portal more than, than – you know, FSU's had so much success, they point to that. Like, we got to do this as well. So, I – I think there's more of a emphasis for 
uh, Napier on high school recruiting, and it, it'll you know we'll see, we'll see. I think I think your your idea of merging is more important, but I think if I had to pick one, I'm leaning towards the portal. Well, they, because here they brought here's in, why. I was going to say real quick, just in all fairness to Florida, their their past recruiting class that they just had. Uh, I'm counting it here. It looks like they have about ten or twelve guys who they went and acquired through the portal. Um, this time, this around. past year, this past year, yeah, they had ten or twelve guys that came through the portal, including Graham Mertz, obviously being the big one. Right, right. Maybe I'm looking at the previous season too. Yeah, thirteen. Thirteen. They the only had two in his first year. I think they only had two in the portal. So maybe, Thir- yeah, yeah thir- okay. thirteen's the full number. They had twenty-one commits, and then thirteen transfers came in. Okay, well then, yeah, he's obviously putting putting a lot more emphasis on it than he than he did when he first came in. So, I think it's just part of it because you 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 now have college tape on these guys. Like you can look at all the high school tape you want, you just don't know the consistency of the opponents is so hard to judge, right? You yeah. know, um, especially for guys that are in the trenches, you don't know how they're going to hold up against you know real SEC type, you know, man NFL type players. So. Once you get this, the tape on them in the SEC or in right. the ACC or whatever, you got a much better feel and, for who these players are, how they assimilate to college. So many of the uh, variables that are unknown in high school football, you don't have to worry about that in, in, if yeah. you've seen them in the portal. I think it's just you, you have more information, more accurate information on the guy. It can fast-track your program, as we're seeing with Florida State being the greatest example. And I know I'm preaching patience, but at the same time, we know – these athletic departments and these universities at these big time programs, and I'll I'll call them the ones that are pressure cookers. And I think Florida is definitely in that in that kind of that that kind of area. Like they are a pressure cooker university when you are the head football coach of that school. We can you can preach patience all you want, but they want to see wins. And Billy Napier has said it. It's been 15 years since Florida has won the SEC. I mean that doesn't fly there. I think you would wow. agree that doesn't typically fly. And how many of those years have they represented the SEC East, which has typically been the easier side over the last 15 years? Maybe a handful of times, two yeah. or three times, and now it's going to be incredibly tough to do that? They did it with Trask uh, a few years ago. Um, before that... I don't think they ever did it under McIlwain, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm reading that correctly. I don't think they did it under McIlwain. They might have did it a year under Muschamp, maybe, well, I know Trask played in the SEC championship game. Yeah, that happened in, in the uh, the 2020 year where they lost right. to Alabama. But okay. other than that, I can't think of many instances where they've done that. And with Georgia being a powerhouse now and Tennessee joining the ranks, and let's see what happens with Oklahoma and Texas. I don't like what side are they going to? Are we removing divisions outright? Like all these things I think are going to make it a lot tougher for these schools, including Florida, to get to the SEC championship moving forward. So. Uh, patience, I can preach it all I want, but you know these schools just don't have any. Here's the uh, CBS Sports preview. They did over-under on all SEC teams. So they've got Florida over-unders at five-and-a-half wins. They're picking them over five-and-a-half. They're predicting their wins. McNeese State, Charlotte at Kentucky, Vanderbilt at home, Arkansas at home, and at Missouri. So they're picking those as their as their definite wins, and then losses at Utah, mm. uh, which is a lot of people are picking for the playoff. At Utah, Tennessee, at South Carolina, Georgia, at LSU, and Florida State. So it I, I it, it would almost appear like if they go seven and five with that schedule, you feel pretty good about it. Yeah, yeah, 
I say there's not a lot of faith among the Gator fan base going into Napier's second year. Season is bookended with a trip to Utah and a finale against rival Florida State, two teams that have a chance to contend for the playoff. The shaky quarterback situation is more concerning, however, as Graham Mertz and Jack Miller III battle it out to be the starter. On the other side of the ball, the Gators' defense was far from stout a year ago. Even with a strong rushing attack, it's hard to imagine them taking a massive step forward. Even if they do, the schedule doesn't do them any favors. But they're picking them over five and a half wins. That's a minus 140 bet. So, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair where the Gators are right now. So, there's your your Gator football update, uh, including recruiting. All right, quick break. Then we're going to come back and talk about the Bucks. We got a little derailed there in college football, but that's cool. We'll do the, uh, some Bucks talk. There's uh, some talk about in the national media about the Bucks trading Mike Evans for Saquon Barkley. That makes zero sense to me. Maybe it makes sense to you, but we'll talk about that. And Mike Evans' new contract and where the Bucks are as they head into training camp. So quick break. Stay with us here on the J.P. Peterson Show, brought to you by the great folks at the Golden Diamond Source. Stay with us. Coverage can be confusing and expensive. I mean, where do you start? Which companies can you count on to pay out fast and fair? Well, call the great folks at Italiano Insurance. It's a family-owned business. Jeff and Nat Italiano are carrying on the 60-year-plus tradition of giving amazing customer service and giving back to the community through their annual backpack drive for needy students and their support of the local pediatric cancer patients but it's the customer service that sets them apart they can shop all your insurance needs and save you big time money don't hop on the internet and waste time looking at some bogus reviews talk to knowledgeable agents and not some voice generated robot these are confusing times for homeowners and italiano's team of experienced professionals can provide the right coverage for every situation home auto business life it's italiano for all the pieces of your life Call 813-877-7799 or go to italianoinsurance.com. Well, Fitz the Mortgage Guy did it again. A listener heard his ad was going to another big bank but called Scott Fitzgerald at American Mortgage Services of Tampa and Fitz saved him $618 on his monthly payment. Are you kidding me? Folks, that's big money. Rates are going up, they're going down, they're going all over the place. Scott will shop your loan and save you lender fees and get the best rates. Email him, scott at amstampa.com or call 813-294-7595. That's Fitz the Mortgage Guy. Lots of stuff going on right now and these rates are going all over the place. You need somebody knowledgeable in the market that will work hard for you and get you the best deal. That's my man Scott. He's done three loans for me, done thousands of loans for local folks here, works with a lot of the coaches and players in the area. He's the guy. 813-294-7595 or go to scott at amstampa.com. During COVID, over 1.7 million people were added to the Florida Medicaid rolls, but as of April 1st, 2023, most of these people may not be eligible for the Medicaid coverage and will lose their health plan. If you have been notified you are losing your coverage, don't freak out. It's very likely you can apply for a federal subsidy under the Affordable Care Act. Just call 877-652-0244. Our representatives will walk you through the whole process, get some basic information on your income, number of kids, and then they'll find a plan that best fits your needs. In fact, with the new laws, 90% of Americans qualify for reduced or free health care. You can select great plans like Florida Blue, that's my carrier, love them, paying $800 left after making the call. 877-652-0244. 
Our highly trained professionals know all the intricacies of the new laws. They will do all the work. You save tons of money. So if you're being dropped from Medicaid, fear not. Call 877-652-0244. Get real health insurance, free doctor visits, free blood work, no deductibles. 877-652-0244. Hey, JP here for Extravaganza Productions Incorporated, EPI. You've probably seen their purple logo at so many events that you've gone to. They are based in Tampa, and for over 33 years, they've been creating and producing conferences, meetings, and special events, the biggest to the smallest, solid reputation of delivering the best audiovisual, sound, lighting, entertainment, video production, and decor on time and on budget. I've worked with them with so many big events, the Warrior Games, which was an Olympic-style event all over uh, Tampa Bay from McDill to the Convention Center to USF. They did it flawlessly, made it look big and fantastic. I've worked with them on small events as well, uh, large and small meetings and conferences, sporting events, fundraisers. If you got a fundraiser, you don't know the logistical way to pull it off, they'll take care of everything. Entertainment events, branding events, grand openings, so much more. The folks at Extravaganza Productions are the most professional and the best. I've worked with them many times. They are fantastic. You can contact them through extravaganzaproductions.com or call 813-621-4700. Extravaganza Productions, they are awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, let's rock. This is FanStream Sports with JP. show brought to you by extravaganza productions incorporated good folks over there uh, paul thomason and his crew if you've got a charity event coming up uh, a golf tournament a small business meeting a big business meeting whatever you got and you need some professionals to set everything up with audio visual set the scene with decorations and themes they are the folks to do it for you they uh, have done so many big events and parties in this area you may have seen their their purple and white uh, logo all over the place. It's Extravaganza Productions. I work with them at the Warrior Games. We just did the uh, the PPL uh, tournament out at um, the Sarah Vandenberg Complex, flawlessly executed. So if you have any events coming up and you're not exactly sure, you don't want to do it all yourself, let the professionals handle it. It's Extravaganza Productions. Go to their website, extravaganzaproductions.com. Um, all right, Nikki, let's get into uh, a little Bucks talk. Did I see here in our comments that the national media, and I think I did see something, um, Mike Evans for Saquon Barkley. And not happening. Number one, nobody's spending that much money on a, on a running back, um, certainly not the Bucks in their cap situation because they're not going to trade Mike Evans and – you know, and then have to redo the contract for Saquon Barkley, and he wants you know fifteen, sixteen million dollars a year. Never going to happen. And I don't think Mike Evans is getting traded because simply his contract would disqualifies that from happening. You 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 pay more money in dead cap money and not have the player it makes zero sense. Plus the fact that he's still re- ridiculously productive, and in this new offense, I got to believe that Mike Evans is going to flourish, especially in the red zone. Yeah, and you had the report. I mean, this was a – I'm not sure why some national outlets are writing this. The way I saw it, it was like fan fans kind of like just throwing this out here and, and the new age of Twitter, sometimes those things stick. And news companies pick up on it, and there's articles about it, and everybody loses their mind. This is an absolute uh, z- negative 0.000% chance of happening. It's almost worth just moving on from because then we because we got the real report and I think Pewter Reporter had said this uh, uh, a couple weeks back and then Rick Stroud put it out there for the Times this weekend that the Bucks are looking like they're going to sign Mike Evans to an extension which I think we've always thought was the logical play here 
all those people that try to tell you that the Bucks are going to move Mike Evans and put him on a good team, let him retire in a good place, the Bucks are tanking, blah, 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 blah. Not happening. Mike Evans is going to be a Buck for life. I think there's no doubt about that. He's going to be, as far to my knowledge, the first Bucks offensive player in history to get a third contract. I think is that fair to say? I can't think of anybody else has gotten one, especially from the money that he's going to be getting on this third contract. I think Levante is well, the only one. With these, I'm yeah. saying like an offensive player. I think oh, we've God. seen it with defensive players, but offensive players, I know there's some guys who had some tenure here with the Bucks, like a Paul Gruber. He might have been the longest tenured Buck off on the offense, I want to say. Right, yeah. So I'm sure there probably was, but of this magnitude, this player, the contract price it's going to be, and I know the Bucks are strapped for cash and all those type of things, <clears throat> but, uh, and Todd Bull said this last week at, you know, he talked about Mike Evans, and the first thing he mentioned was unselfish. And how often do you see a star receiver in the NFL as unselfish as Mike Evans? They just don't. They don't come around. They just don't come around often. Go look at what's going on with, with Buffalo. Yeah, <laughs> with, we'll talk about that we'll in a talk second. We'll talk about yeah. that in a second. Uh, but Mike Evans, I think he's been, you can make an argument, he's probably been a little bit underpaid, or at least he's taken so, maybe not underpaid, He's gotten the money. He's just he's always restructured his deal to help out the team, and especially to to give him a Super Bowl title, which is very honorable. Would love to see more guys around the league do it, and Mike Evans has. So, if they break the bank with this contract, I'm not going to really raise hell about it or tell you that oh well when he's 34 it's not going to look too good. Mike Evans has he deserves every penny I think he gets from this organization on this third deal. Oh, I think JP dropped out there. Yep. I think JP dropped out there, so let's see if we can get him him back here. But, yeah, to my point there about Mike Evans, I'm not going to raise a stink uh, one bit if this contract is a large – here, JP's back in. I don't know what – I don't know the hell just – I was looking. Hold on. Trying to... Well. All right, we, go. we got our back, our back in our boxes there. Go ahead, though, with your points. Uh, yeah, I, I look at – I look at uh... – the Seattle's offense last year, and they had two receivers go over a thousand yards, right? So, right. This is this is an offense. A lot of people talk about it's it's more horizontal than it is vertical. It doesn't mean they're not producing big plays. And what is it? White Mike Evans said last week, "I've never been so effing open in my life." Right. Uh, the way they're scheming, I mean, it's like, oh my god, yes, right. And you know, Mike Evans, he'll be the first to tell you that he's probably not the best yak guy. In, in, in football, he, he tends to secure the football and, and go down to the ground, but he's trying to work on that. And, you know, part of that is the, the routes that you run, right? If you're constantly running in routes and dig routes where you're coming back to the football and out, you're not moving down the field. You're not, if you're not running a lot of crossing routes, which this offense has a lot of crossing routes, right. a lot of mis, uh, misdirection. So, and that's where guys get open. Guys get rubbed off. You get, and you can catch the ball in stride and open and go. Yeah, and his launch, you know, and I think Mike's speed is still very much underrated. Um, he keeps himself in fantastic shape. I talked to him at his, at his fundraiser the other day. He looks fantastic. I asked him about the new offense, and he just like you know rolled his eyes like in a good way. Like he's like, "Oh man, this is like so refreshing. It's just fantastic. I love this. You know, we're, we're going to be way better than than people think we're going to be, and and we like it that way. They want it. They love being underneath the radar. And I mean, look, all players want to be optimistic. Uh, we're a long way from from coordinating the Bucks as division champs again. But as I've said many times, I like the vibe of this team. 
it's more of a family. It's more of a, you know, less about one guy than it is about the team. So I just, you know, I just, I love the vibe that they have right now. And Mike Evans is kind of a perfect example of that. I think they'll get this deal done. And I think Mike's going to be a Buccaneer for his entire career. And that's the way. And he'll go into the ring of honor. And I, I think eventually, he's still only, what, 29 years old, if you can believe it. I think he's, what, 29 years old, right? Yeah, 29, because he came 29. into the league at 20 years old, yeah. He's still 29 years old, and he's sitting on 10,425 career receiving yards and 81 touchdowns. Assuming he stays healthy throughout the next three seasons, I'll just put it at, just say three seasons, which would take him through his age 32, he's going to be up around 1,400 receiving yards and over 100 touchdowns. At that point, Mike Evans, in my opinion, you're – getting him fitted for a gold jacket as far as I'm concerned I know a lot of people trust me I see this all the time on Twitter there's like a thing going on right now of like you know name a player that is a good player but you never really understood the hype and there was a lot of people pointing to Mike Evans there because he's not really let's be honest when we talk about the top receivers in football does Mike Evans name really come up in national circles no because in most I think the biggest reason is because he's not a diva you know, his game, I'll just be honest. His game is not like you see Justin Jefferson. He takes your breath away. Like Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, uh, Michael Thomas when he was at his peak. Like DeAndre Hopkins, certainly. Like even Odell Beckham Jr. Like they were in the same draft class and their entire careers. We focused so much on Odell's career. And Mike wow. has lapped him, meanwhile, and been available Right. Keyword available at a position that it's really hard to. So people, they look at Mike's numbers and they go, how the hell did he get here? Well, it's because he's on the field every single game for the most part. Like he might have like hamstring issues and things like that, but he usually plays through these things and still produces. And to your point about, oh, well, he's not the greatest yak guy. I can make the argument that's helped him have long the longevity he's had and had the numbers because he's always out there. I don't have to worry about Mike Evans. So I think for sure he's got a, a, more than better chance to get to the Hall of Fame pretty soon after he's done retiring. Like I would almost say he feels like the Frank Gore of of wide receivers. To me, I think that's almost how I'd compare him to. He's going to have a long, lengthy career where he racks up a lot of numbers, very consistent, but we're never going to talk about him as one of the top guys in the league, even though he has been. So I I think he's the Frank Gore of the receiving position. That's a great comp right there um, because the numbers are just off the charts. It's funny, I'm comparing these numbers. Let's compare Odell Beckham's numbers uh, to to Mike Evans. Um, Mike Evans' career games played, 137. Odell, 96. Odell receptions, 531. Mike, 683. Uh, Yards, Mike, 10,425. Odell, 7,367. Uh, average 13.9 for Odell. You think, oh, he's more. Nope, he's not. 15.3 for Mike Evans. Touchdowns, 81 for Mike. 56 for Odell Beckham Jr. 56. Um, First downs, 343 for Odell. 532 for Mike Evans. I mean, not even close. Not even close. And I bet... If some people you ask, like, who's a better receiver, Odell Beckham Jr. or Mike Evans, who do you think, like, on a national poll, what do you think those numbers would be? Like, right now or just over their course of their career? For his career. Yeah, I mean, or just even right now. Who's a better receiver? 
Who would you want to oh, sign? Mike Evans by far right now. I mean, Odell Beckham has played like maybe. No, I'm talking about if you did a national poll just for national perception. I think you would. I think it would be like seventy thirty. Odell Beckham Jr. I, I think say, oh. Mike. I think Mike might still win out on the poll, but I think it'd be a lot closer than it'd have any right to be. Yeah, exactly. But even exactly. for their, but even if you compare their careers, like I get it. The first three years of Odell Beckham Jr. in New York, I'm not going to argue with that. He he was absolutely a top five receiver. Some would argue the best receiver at that time. His first three years. But then he had injuries. I mean, if you combine since 2020, he's played in like what accounts to like a full season in the last like three seasons. That's it with Odell Beckham Jr. But then again, look at the league. Look at the contract he just got from Baltimore. He's hardly played over the last three years, and he's still getting what? What was it like, fifteen million or something like that on the open market? His uh, his last three, 2021, he played eight eight games for the Raider uh, for the Rams, right, and six for Cleveland. And he was really good uh, with played, the Rams. Yeah, they played seven games. Well, obviously played none in 2022. Seven games for Cleveland in 2020. Uh, 16 games for Cleveland. The full schedule in 2019. Uh, 2018, he played 12 games and then four games in 2017. So, yeah, he, it's not even close. Mike Evans, but I still I think Mike has some work to do. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Mike has some work to do in terms of getting to the Hall of Fame. Well, because receiver is like one of the toughest positions to get in. Yeah. I mean, we can't even I, – and you go look at like a Torrey Holt, for example. Like I look at his numbers, and I mean I miss – off the charts. I miss yeah. the, the prime of Torrey Holt, obviously. I saw the tail end. But just looking at the numbers, I'm like, okay, why is this guy not in the Hall of Fame? He's got 14,000-something yards. Like He played on in one of the greatest offenses of all time. He's got all the accolades, and he can't get in. So I see that, and I'm like, the fact that Mike wasn't really in the, the top people's minds when it came to top receivers, maybe he's going to have trouble. But in my opinion, it, again, if he stays healthy and you have over 1,400 yards and over 100 touchdowns, and that's just assuming in the next three years, when he'll be 32, it's not like his career will be over. He'll have a chance to continue to stat pad after that. Like, I don't think it's I don't think it's out of the question. This guy could have over fifteen thousand yards, and when you get to that, you're in rarefied air. Who has over fifteen thousand yards receiving for their career? Jerry Rice. Who else? I mean, it's literally it almost stops at like ter- at Jerry Rice and Terrell Owens after that, and mm-hmm. that's it. I think that's where Mike has a chance to get to. Yeah, yeah, I think he has to be productive for it. Has to just to overcome the fact that he's played in Tampa Bay for so many years, which I think really hurts guys trying to get into the Hall of Fame. Um, it's just because it's not been he's not been top of mind. But I think he, you know, with with, with certainly with Brady here, say, yep. it's yeah, it's brought him a lot more notoriety and and for and for good reason. I just wish they, you know, last year could have been a lot better. A um, couple other things from the Bucks: Rashad White. Eyeing a thousand yard rusher, I think that's a go. I, I I didn't see. I don't know what the odds are in Vegas. I think Rashad White gets to a thousand yards, and I, it, you know, like I I keep seeing what are the Bucks going to add? Could they add a, a veteran running back? I think they could. Uh, you know, obviously at the minimum, there's some good ones that are out there. Hard to believe. Um, hard to believe some of the names that are still out there. Dalvin Cook, DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, to a lesser degree, Ezekiel Elliott. Of some of the players that are out there, there's still really good players out there. Um, yeah, so I I think Rashad White has a great chance to do that. I really do. I think he's going to have a tremendous season if he can stay healthy. I, I hear people talking about him, oh, he didn't see much last year. I'm like, my God, he barely got the opportunity to carry the ball. He caught 30 of his 33 targets. 
Uh, when he did get a start, you know, the only time he got a start and got 20 carries, he got over 100 yards. I mean, you talk about a guy that was misused in a terrible rushing offense. I, I just look at the guy. I turn on the tape, and I see him make people miss. Um, I know there's a number out there that says after contact, he, he only had one plus. I mean, go look at the tape, man. It's a, After contact, it's like four guys hitting him in the backfield. Nobody's going to make a whole lot of yards after that. Right. Um, it's it, Everybody knowing exactly where you're going with the football. I, I trust me. I think Rashad White's going to have a great year this year. Yeah, I, I think a thousand yards is doable, and I even had to look back that up because it's been since 2015 since the Bucks have had a thousand yard rusher. Yeah, 2015. The the, Doug mus- Martin. the muscle, the old muscle hamster, Doug the Martin. muscle hamster, and he hated that nickname. Yeah, and even if you go prior to that, like I think it goes all the way back to like Doug Martin 2012, and then maybe even I think maybe Legarrette Blunt had a year in there. I know Cadillac, his rookie year, had 1,000 yards. Yeah. Like, it's just not been commonplace, actually, for the Bucks to have a bell cow back there and to get 1,000 yards. So he would it's definitely— It's really not part of the league anymore, to be honest. You know, it's, No, but it's, fa- it's fascinating to me because this is a team that hasn't had top-level quarterback play for majority of their time as a franchise and certainly in the 21st century. And even then— they really never really had guys that were just rushing for a thousand yards. It just kind of shows you they were just pitiful on offense all the way around for most of the century, right? That's my whole point about that. You know, I just did this real quick math because I wanted to get it get it right. You know how many yards you have to average per game to get a thousand yards now? Hmm. Fifty nine yards a game. That seems like a shoe in, shouldn't it? <laughs> Back in the day, a thousand yards in a fourteen game season. I'm old enough to remember that. Where uh, um, who was it? Uh, Mercury Morris and Larry Zonka both had a thousand yards in a fourteen game season. Now that's a running attack, baby. Well, Miami even even look at this season. This is this is fair because uh, who is it here? Yeah, Lee Lee in the chat here said a thousand yards isn't the standard anymore, uh, especially in seventeen games. Below average running backs hit that number all day long. If the O line blocks well, he should be closer to fifteen hundred yards. In my honest, well, that'd be amazing. Then we're talking offensive rookie or player of the year level stuff right there. Uh, but yeah, I looked it up. There were 16 running backs, 16 running backs this year who hit 1,000 yards. Of those 16, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 of those running backs were in committees. Not even starters for all 17 games. Some of them started half the games that they were in. And still hit a thousand yards, so yeah, that is kind of that is kind of fair if you kind of look at it. Is a thousand yards the standard anymore in the NFL? In nineteen, this is just fun for me. In nineteen seventy three, nineteen seventy three, the Miami Dolphins, uh, Larry Zonka had a thousand and three yards, averaging four point five eight yards per carry for a fullback. Mercury Morris, six point four yards per carry, and he had 954 yards. How about that? Hmm. Um, I think it was one of the years they both had 1,000. I think it would have been, was it 1974? Hold on. Let me let – me, uh, uh, can you – like that's a 14-game season. Can you imagine? Yeah. That, that's, and that, I think there was one year where Bob Greasy was in the Hall of Fame as a quarterback, which is absolutely – yeah, it is. Fa- I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm looking at like the today numbers. Like I just said right there, 16 running backs hit that mark this year. How about last year, the first year we had 17 games, there was only seven who hit it. 
and Zeke was one of them, and he had two yards over a thousand. So how did that happen? Is that kind of interesting to you? Yeah. 17-game season, one year to the next, with the quarterback being the focal point of everything now, we jumped from 7 to 16 over one year of 1,000-yard runners. Like, is the running game making a, a comeback? Are we, is it making a comeback into the NFL and we just haven't been paying attention or something? I, I think, no, I said that last year. I said, you know, you, you want to zig when everybody else is zagging, right? So as this becomes more of a passing league, if you're a fringe team, and I think this is where the Bucs can have a, a lot of success. If you're a fringe team and you can really overpower teams and run, because as like defenses are getting lighter and quicker, right? Right. If you could be a team that bludgeons you with the running game and you look at what the Bucs are trying to do with Filer at left guard, uh, um, worse at left tackle, you go 330, 350, like Jensen's 320. They want to get bigger, right? Uh, the right guards, you know, whoever's going to win that. Um, you know, it's probably going to be 315, and, and Gedeke's, what, uh, 310? I mean, it's it kind of average on the, on the right side. But, yeah, I mean, maybe that's what the Bucks are hoping to do. With, with If you're running the football and you're power running people against smaller defenses, you can have success. There's no question about it. And with, with Rashad White, I mean, let's go. Yeah, and, and, I, and Ke- I don't Keyshawn see – Keyshawn Vaughn? Well, I, was, I know you mentioned Keyshawn Vaughn because you have to. But, I, again, and I love Sean Tucker, and a lot of guys are chiming in here that he'll be running back two by midseason. Uh, I, d- I do think Sean Tucker has great potential, but they got to get him on the field. He hasn't even, with the heart condition, it sounds like maybe they'll get him for training camp. So he's kind of, I think he's a wild card at this moment. But if it's just, let's just say it, it's Rashad White, Chase Edmonds, and Keyshawn Vaughn, I don't see those two guys stealing too many, too many carries away from Rashad White. I don't yeah. see it happening. I think he's going to have every every chance this year to hit not only just a thousand yards but get well above it for this team and especially if this offense is what we believe it's going to be and it's going to be about the marriage of the run and the pass and you get 25 touches a game out of Rashad White yeah I I think um yeah I I think he has a huge year and if if I'm a fantasy guy Rashad White's um definitely one of those sleepers I'm definitely taking. All right, I got to just get this in. The 1972 Miami Dolphins were the ones who had two 1,000 yard rushers in a 14 game season. Larry Zonka, 1,117, averaged 5.24 yards a carry for a fullback. And Mercury Morris hit 1,000 yards right on the button, 5.26 yards per carry. If I'm not mistaken, because I'm, I'm such a nerd with the 72 Miami Dolphins, at the end of the season, he was nine. He was at nine hundred and ninety-two yards or nine hundred ninety-one yards, and they went back at the film and found nine yards that were not credited to him that should have been credited to him on like a, a, a lateral that was behind the line, and they got him to a thousand yards. So <laughs> a little uh, a little bookworking done there, um, and I, I think there was maybe one other team that did it, but I, I can't remember who it was. But the nineteen seventy-two Miami Dolphins, you know. All right, just another quick one. How many passes in the entire season? <laughs> they completed 144 passes in the entire 14-game season. 144 out of 259 <laughs> for the entire season. Did, did um, Brady hit that in, like, what, four or five games this, this past year? But Yeah. He, what do you have, 741 attempts? He set the, the NFL season? record, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's a little different game now. It's a little different game. I miss a little bit of the running game, but maybe not that much. All right, uh, let's we'll hit one more break. 
Uh, we'll come back and finish up. We got a, uh, the, the the weird tale of Stephon Diggs. What's going on with him? Uh, what's going oh, in the trade for Bradley Beal or the Suns now? The odds-on favorite for the NBA championship. Coming back in three minutes. Stay with us. Law Group, have you been injured in an accident, in an auto accident, truck accident, motorcycle accident, at work or at a place of business? Well, call the Jeeves Law Group and get the personal attention that you deserve. I made the mistake many, many years ago with going with one of the bigger law firms, the national law firms, and let me tell you, getting a call back from those folks was next to impossible. Weeks and weeks would go by, never get a call back. That doesn't happen with the Jeeves Law Group. Personal attention is what they're all about. When you call the Jeeves Law Group, you will be part of the family. They will represent you in a vigorous and aggressive way against the insurance companies. These larger companies will promise bigger settlements, but it's the Jeeves Law Group that will get you the best results. If you're tired of dealing with these bigger law firms, check out the Jeeves Law Group. Go to JeevesLawGroup.com, tell them JP sent you, get a free consultation. It's the Jeeves Law Group. Scott Jeeves has been representing clients in the Tampa Bay area for over 25 years. Give them a call. It's a free call. 727-894-2929. 727-894-2929. Or go to JeevesLawGroup.com. Ladies and gentlemen, are you looking to lose weight or just lean up for bathing suit season where there are so many diets and chiropractors and weight loss clinics out there? You don't know where to start, right? We'll start at Bay Area Modern Medical Center. Chris Lugo, PA, and his professional staff will devise a personal plan for you that gets results and will help you keep the weight off. Everybody metabolizes food and supplements differently. Many of these other approaches are designed for the masses. So how's that going to work for you specifically? It's not. Chris will spend one-on-one time with you to find out what works best for you so the weight comes off safely without the use of harmful drugs and side effects. Call 844-977-3477 or go to BAMMC.com. Tell them JP sent you for priority scheduling. 844-977-3477 or BAMMC.com. Insurance coverage can be confusing and expensive. I mean, where do you start? Which companies can you count on to pay out fast and fair? Well, call the great folks at Italiano Insurance. It's a family-owned business. Jeff and Nat Italiano are carrying on the 60-year-plus tradition of giving amazing customer service and giving back to the community through their annual backpack drive for needy students and their support of the local pediatric cancer patients. But it's the customer service that sets them apart. They can shop all your insurance needs and save you big-time money. Don't hop on the internet and waste time looking at some bogus reviews. Talk to knowledgeable agents and not some voice-generated robot. These are confusing times for homeowners, and Italiano's team of experienced professionals can provide the right coverage for every situation, home, auto, business, life. It's Italiano for all the pieces of your life. Call 813-877-7799 or go to italianoinsurance.com. Pure, pure sports. JP is back on. Welcome back. Fans Dream Sports. All right, welcome back to the JP Peterson Show here. We're going to finish up here uh, with a couple more notes on the NFL and a story that um, Nick Nicky Numbers did a little uh, research on. The worst gripe in the NFL award goes to Stevon Diggs, who was unhappy with his role in the offense and the play calling. 
and is mad at his quarterback for not throwing him the ball more. What did you turn up, Nikki Numbers? Yeah, and at first this is in response to uh, a report from uh, Ben Volan of the, the Boston Globe that Stephon Diggs is frustrated with his role in the club's offense and his input in play calling. And I, I just have never heard of a receiver that has much input in play calling, but okay. And I went through the numbers here. Uh, 2020, this is this three seasons with the Bills. 2020, 166 targets, 127 receptions, over 1,500 yards. 2021, 164 targets, 103 receptions, over 1,200 yards. 2022, 154 targets, 108 receptions, and over 1,400 yards. A Pro Bowl appearance in each and one of those three years. Two All-Pro nominees and regarded as one of the best receivers at football. Uh, by the way, those targets, that counts up to a 484, which puts him just short of Devontae Adams for most targets in those three years. So, yeah, I, I can't for the life of me figure out what in the world this gripe could honestly be. Like, I mean, wh- how could you have a gripe about your role in the offense, especially with Buffalo, who really has struggled to find a consistent number two to even compliment right. with him? Like, he's getting the ball more often than not. But if you go back to <clears throat> the AFC divisional game against the Bengals this year, I mean, there was that photo or that video of him kind of like doing like this on the sideline, looking at Josh right. Allen, like, what's going on? Right, and he and was, they were ignoring him, by he the was, way. He was pretty triggered about it, um, and then he left immediately after the game, before the coaches had even made it back to the locker room. He had already exited the building. Uh, he went on a podcast or later or the, earlier in the offseason and said that, you know, this shit doesn't make any sense. We have all the talent. I don't understand why we can't this and that. Um, so he's got, he's got issues with this organization. And I know Sean McDermott says that he feels like it's all resolved and all that, but I just these receivers, man. I as great as it is to have an, an elite receiver, it's almost it's so hard to keep them happy. And I don't. And this is the greatest example of that. I, I don't have. How could anybody see anything that Stephon Dizzy is saying? Going, yeah, I understand. I don't think anybody can. No, and he just got paid. He, he just, just got, got paid on top of that. I mean, what more does the guy want? I would I would submit to you, Buffalo's problem is they're too reliant on Stephon Diggs. Well, I mean, they're, that's they're, the problem. They don't have the. Uh, I feel like I touched on this last week. Maybe like they haven't found a consistent running game, right? right. Or they don't commit to it enough. I'll put it that well, way. Well, and that's the thing. It's like sometimes you don't know. It's like you know the the Bucks in reverse. You don't know how good your running game is unless you call the damn plays. I think right? they have a good running game. Like if you look at Singletary when he was there. Like the yards per right. carry were always up. They just don't go to it enough, and they kind of relied on Josh Allen to just bell them out of every situation. And this past year without Dayball, he was a little erratic, right? Interceptions were, were more commonplace and turnovers. And I think that's a big thing. With no Brian Dayball there, I think you're starting to see that I think Sean McDermott may be a bit disconnected from his offense, if yeah. I can say that. These defensive head coaches, I told you McDermott kind of scares me the most of all of them, and I'm waiting on that team to kind of break through. And it seems like they're running short of their window right now. And this is yeah. obviously not great when we're two months away from the season beginning. Yeah, and I, I think it's, you know, they've talked about personal problems with Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen or maybe the coaching staff. I mean, to me, if you got a guy, and this is why we love Mike Evans so much, right. you got a guy that's getting 10 targets a game and still bitching, still bitching. I mean, you got to have diversity in your offense. I know you can sit there and say, oh, you know, we handed the ball off. We got two yards. I mean, just throw me the damn ball. I'll get you more than that. It doesn't work that way. Stefan, you've got to have balance in your offense. And I think that 
Buffalo's way too reliant on Josh Allen running the football and throwing it to Stephon Diggs. And what happens when you get diva receivers is they're bitching about the ball all the time and the play caller is worried about feeding Stephon Diggs and not feeding his running game to give him balance. And and probably with a first-year play caller like they had last year in uh, Dorsey, he probably succumbed to that. We saw that when um, uh, uh, when Jameis had Deshaun. I mean, Deshaun was constantly bitching at him, and, and of course, Jameis wants to make everybody happy. He's trying to feed Deshaun the whole time, and that doesn't work either. It gets your other receivers pissed off, so uh, whatever. It's their problem, but 